I've been toying around with the idea of having some sort of intro for every time you play the podcast and it's just kind of a welcoming sound or uh, address like in Mission Impossible. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. But then I think you get tired to hear that every single episode and you get annoyed of it and you just scan ahead, hit that 15 seconds and pass it up. And I think uh, I do that a lot. I don't like listening to a lot of intros that are the exact same every time. So in the meantime, I'm just going to talk right from the get-go, hop right into it. No pauses, no music played in the beginning, just boom, boom, boom. Here I am. Here's what this podcast is about, and let's go. That being said, welcome to another episode of the Anti-Podcast. This is the 14th episode, uh, started this year, 2019, and I'm searching far and wide to interview people who have found a different pathway to success outside of the mainstream way of doing things. Today is no different. I am talking with John Wheatley, an Englishman living in St. Louis, but not before he had some travels elsewhere. He originally came over uh, to San Francisco because of Y Combinator and his first startup called Daily Booth. Uh, Daily Booth was kind of a foray into digital photo upload um, about 10 years ago, interacting with people with photo comments. You can look it up on Wikipedia. It got pretty popular in early 2010. The website reached 3 million photos and 10 million comments. He has a bunch of experience of having uh, celebrities and other investors and celebrity investors invest into his startup daily booth back then. And he has a unique perspective about it. He plays it pretty, pretty close to the hip. You know, he doesn't really brag about it too much and maintains a refreshing uh, humility that you normally wouldn't find in a startup, uh, a successful startup uh, CEO and founder. Maybe that's a stereotype, but John's a very nice guy. I had a wonderful time talking with him. His story is very interesting and, and definitely in the anti-mindset. He, uh, he got banned, quote unquote, from America trying to get over here because of a mishap at the immigration office on the way here, which is very humorous. And he had to end up using a telepresence robot for a year in meetings at the Y Combinator where his startup was being ushered through. Uh, he talks about the success of that, it winding down a bit, then also starting up a, uh, another company called Peel, which is very minimal iPhone case and smartphone case. He linked up with a, a partner of his, Marshall Haas, and then eventually moved to St. Louis and started up a company called Need Want. And this is kind of where I start to uh, really know about John and Marshall is Need Want was a very transparent product startup company. So Need Want, there wasn't a specific Need Want product, but their products like Peel and uh, Mod Notebooks and a betting company, they really talked about the transparency behind the process of starting these things up, how much they cost, what the overhead was, running a Kickstarter, uh, what happens when factories don't meet delivery dates. And I always thought it was super fascinating. Their, their first article that really kind of caused waves in St. Louis and elsewhere was them saying why they moved their startup from San Francisco to St. Louis. And uh, from then on, they just kept that, that mode of transparency going, writing pretty frequently and putting out uh, posts that were really shared pretty far and wide. John also talks about the downside 
of that as well and all the transparency. And John is also working on a new, uh, not social network. He didn't like to call it, but it's a new form of um, social media that he calls Stopwatch and how it interacts with time or the fourth dimension, as he likes to say. It's pretty interesting. I got the bi- the private beta last week. I've been toying around with it. It's really unique, uh, fun to play with kind of interface. I haven't got it quite down yet, uh, but there is that there is something there that makes you want to keep coming back to it, you know, kind of like the early phases of Snapchat um, and Instagram story. It, it really utilizes live video and incorporates it all on a chronological timeline. It's very interesting. Um, you should check it out. It's stopwatch.com. John himself is uh, just a great guy. I already said that once, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, we get into a lot of different conversations. We talk about the White House trip I took, some other things he's doing, and uh, just have a pretty blunt conversation on making things and breaking things and and being successful in this day and age and social media as well. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed that. If you like this podcast, please rate and review it, share it on social media or discuss it on your blog or your podcast. And if you really like it, I will send you the transcript and you can get a back tattoo to tattoo across your body or chest of John and I's conversation. If you do that, uh, then you will get free anti-gear whenever it is made in the future because I have none right now. All right, enough of me, enough of this, enough of this mishmash intro. I now am pleased to present to you John Wheatley on the Anti-Podcast. Hello, Kevin. Hey, John. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? Back in the Midwest. How's it feel? It feels great to be back. <laughs> it really does. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. As someone who's born and raised here. Yeah. Love it here. Love America. Best country in the world. <laughs> Check. Uh, <laughs> NSA can disconnect now. Um, uh, how, where, where were you at pre- uh, previously? So, yeah, I was in St. Louis for a bit, um, for about four years. Then moved to Denver for a year. Um, and a couple of months ago, decided to move back. Right on. And why'd you move to Denver? That's a really good question, actually. Yeah. To be honest, there's no good reason. Is this a domino story to where it's like, well, in order to answer that, I have to go back to this. Not really. <laughs> the, the truth is, there's just no real reason. It, it was just kind of, you know, it was in St. Louis. I had just left the company. I moved here to to, to start, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, my business partner, Marshall, had already left or was about to leave. So it just kind of felt like the natural thing to do, maybe, you know, start looking at other options. Um Denver was a really cool city. I'd been there a couple of times before. I, I liked the general vibe. Yeah. But there was no real reason other than just the mountains are cool. You know, yes. it seems like a cool city. We didn't know anybody. Like I work, we have like a remote team. So there was mm. no real reason for me to be there really. Um, but yeah, I miss St. Louis a lot and it's good to be back. I have a theory when you're driving into Denver and like, you know, there's going to be mountains approaching and you've just been driving through the flat awfulness of Kansas. Kansas City. Well, Kansas, I should say. And Kansas East Colorado. City. East sure. Colorado's not that great. And then you start to see like little peaks like over the horizon and then you see the mountain range in full effect and you're like, oh my God, I have to live here. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. It's kind of like the delayed gratification, like the slow build. Yes. You know, you know it's coming, you know yeah. it's coming, you know it's coming. Kansas, Kansas, Kansas. 
Oh, there it is. It's nice. Uh, yeah. Oh man. I, I remember, uh, when I drove out to Denver to live there or in Colorado, I'm like, man, Kansas is the worst state to drive through and it's the worst name state. It's like a blending of two awful words like cancer and ass. <laughs> and you have Kansas, Kansas. <laughs> I, that's, I've never considered that before. That's a good point. It's just, I just remember being so, and I did it all in one push too, you know, by myself. Yeah. So it gives your brain a lot of time to come up with awful puns sure. of why Kansas is called Kansas. It's probably actually some very revered Indian tribe, hmm. but, uh, at the time it was cancer and ass. Um, so yes. And then working in Denver, living in Denver remotely is how you were functioning day to day. You didn't have any, you didn't have to be in Denver, correct? Either. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that was part of the problem. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, working from home mm-hmm. didn't really have, I just didn't find myself. I, it was, I'm, so I guess I should backtrack a little bit working on this company, which is taking up all my time working with a remote team that has people all over the world. So it's kind of, it's, it's hard to justify working like nine to five when there's people working outside those hours and like you yeah. kind of have to be around to answer questions, that kind of stuff. So it, it became pretty easy just to justify not doing anything and just staying in this like house that we had and just working all the time. Um, so I think that was kind of part of the issue, but D- Denver's such a cool city. It's mm-hmm. just, we had a hard time kind of integrating and just ultimately decided to move back to St. Louis, but yeah, it's good. Yeah. I've never, um, you know, every time I've ever moved, even for a short amount of time, I've always known someone that I'm going to either live with in the in-between stages and like getting to know their friend groups and, and domino effect of like meeting other people. Totally. I guess, uh, I've never moved to a place where I didn't know anybody. Yeah. And I can't imagine how hard that would be. I underestimated it. I think we both, me and me and my fiance both completely underestimated, I think. And, and to your point, I've definitely moved around, you know, I moved to St. Louis, moved to San Francisco, yeah. moved to a few different cities, but every time I've always had like some kind of you know, built-in squad, built-in kind of connection to somebody. And then it kind of just proliferates out from there. I think part of the issue too is just being kind of in your thirties, people are kind of let, people have their friendship groups, you know, they don't really like, I can't remember the last time I made a new friend, you know, (laughs) like even when I was living here, it's just not something that happens very often. So your girlfriend probably. That's true. I suppose she she counts as a new friend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, um, uh, my girlfriend is very outgoing. And so anytime we go anywhere, we end up meeting people. I mean, we were just at dinner last week and um, the couple sitting across from us ended up hanging out the rest of the night. <laughs> and so if you have one extrovert out of two people, I think it makes it a little bit easier. If you guys are more inclined to be an introvert or even maybe just the situations make you into more of an introvert. And I can just see how it would be like, well, I got uh, this guy in Russia that I got a call in about two hours. So I better not go out sure. and do anything. We might as well just stay here and it feels comfortable. And it's cold outside. Exactly. It's Denver. Yep. So why would I go out and meet people anyways? So I, th- I think it's pretty justifiable. Um, and it takes a lot of effort. And I feel a lot of people come to St. Louis too, and maybe just move to the wrong neighborhood or move too far out from the city center to where they're like, I'll look at like the local Reddit from time to time. And it's like, what are some fun things to do in St. Louis? I've been here for six months and I've just walked around uh, 
Lawmeyer Art Park, and we went out to someplace, but I don't know if there's people around. It's like, yes, there is. You just have to come downtown and find the people that live here <laughs> yeah. in order to have some sort of successful social life, which is important, I think, um, for obvious reasons. But um, when was the point when you're in Denver where you're like, okay, I'm done. I have to move back. It, honestly, it was a combination of things. You know, it was that was one of the reasons why Denver we felt wasn't working, just the sort of lack of network that we had there. But there were there were other factors too, like. My fiance did. She didn't really like her job very much. Mm. Wasn't really. She's a scientist. It's not mm, really the wow. best place to be for science-related stuff. Um, and then she got this job offer in St. Louis, which was cool. like a much higher salary, much lower cost Wash of living. Uh, it's not Wash U. It's um, it's a startup actually. They're working oh, cool. out of the. Uh, I forget the name of it, but that CIC maybe the yes. thing in Central West End. Yeah. Um, they're uh, an. It's a really interesting company, actually. They do. <laughs> Maybe I should have her on the. Yeah, podcast. you should. You really should. <laughs> she, so it, they basically, it's artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and AI that, as an input, it takes uh, every published scientific paper. That's its sort of input source. Wow. And then it tries to sort of gleam insights that no human could ever kind of. That's get. interesting. So what's interesting is like she's really on the forefront of like. Yeah you know, the next phase of discoveries. And and the way that it works is, so they're sort of like a consulting firm. So uh -huh. other labs approach this this company that, that she's a part of. Um, and then they run the tests for these labs. And scrape basically um, papers and searching for keywords and then developing some AI that connects everything together. Exactly. It's kind of That's like, it's kind of That's like- Sounds very necessary. I agree. The, in this day and age. Yeah. It, like an actual WebMD. <laughs> Dude, seriously, it, it reminds me of the way that Google PageRank works. Uh -huh. You know, yeah. where it's like they figure out the authority based on number of links, all these other factors, like, you know, anchor text, all that kind of thing. So I think it does like some sort of sentiment analysis, like pulls out different keywords. It has some sort of loose understanding of what they are. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, just, just discovers insights before That's anyone awesome. else. It's amazing, isn't it? It's Man. like the most interesting thing ever. Well, back to what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so her job kind of helped dictate that, like, since I can work remotely, me speaking as you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's just go back to St. Louis. And there's the opportunity here, and you feel more comfortable here having ran companies here, had social networks. What is, how, maybe we can get into that, what your perspective is on St. Louis. I know that um, back in the day, you guys are, your partner Marshall wrote an article about leaving San Francisco to come to St. Louis. And that article, I think, went pretty viral, at least locally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe, like, you can tell me. Um, but it seemed like a like that article was a big deal at the time. It kind of coincided with the height of Arch Grants and just a lot of, um, what's the word, exasperation on the coast totally. from rising housing costs and basic cost of living. Sure. And so when you guys wrote that, I think everybody somehow just reached everybody back here and it was like, who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It, yeah. That, that article really seemed to hit a nerve. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it actually became kind of a, a national story. It got coverage in, I think it was the LA times. And I, I, I think really it just sort of neatly fell into this narrative that like, San Francisco is very expensive. Like even mm -hmm. people working in tech 
uh, leaving San Francisco. So that that was it fitted nicely into that narrative, which I think is why it got kind of some national play. Um, and honestly, I think it was just a really good point too. You know, San Francisco is really expensive. We were it's running an internet business, so yeah. there really was no reason to be there. Um, you know, it, you can just do everything remotely. Mm-hmm. It, it just kind of made sense. And honestly, now it seems like people are really waking up to this now. Like there's like sure. a strong narrative around remote work, remote companies. Like you don't really need to be in San Francisco or, or like somewhere expensive. Um, so yeah, I think we're kind of a little bit ahead of the curve on that one. What was interesting though is um, we, we after about a year of being in business in St. Louis, we extrapolated out the kind of equivalent costs of what we would have spent if we were living in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. And it's like a part two to that article. Yeah, something. yeah. So in St. Louis, you know, we were a company that was working, we were profitable, like we were growing. But, you know, extrapolating out all of what the costs would have been, we would have been, we would have like... In the red. Exactly. Yeah. Which is fascinating. It is. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. So definitely, definitely, at the time it felt like kind of, I got a lot of eyebrows raised, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, you even where like St. St. Louis. That's so. Why did you guys choose St. Louis or how did that? Yeah. I'm glad you asked that. So, so Marshall was already here actually. So okay. I was the one that was in San Francisco. Um, and we just kind of swapped notes on the cost of living and mm-hmm. everything, you know, and, and he would, I think I saw a couple of pictures of his apartment. He was staying downtown at the time. Sure. One of those like cool loft apartments. And I was like, was, Dude, he was here because of arch grants. Exactly. Okay, that's right. Sorry, he, it's just all coming back. To yeah. Me. So he, you know, he's not from St. Louis. He's from Texas. Mm-hmm. No ties to St. Louis at all. The only reason why he was here is because he got an arch grant for his previous company. Right. Um, that company got acquired, and then he just stuck around St. Louis. Hmm. Um, and so we didn't. We never got an arch grant or anything. But I am definitely here because of arch grants because Marshall was already here. Yeah. Um, so. I think Arch Grants is awesome, by the way. I think that's like... I have I have mixed feelings on it. Oh, really? I've been through it. Oh, I guess I... I that's some context I don't really have. Oh, no, yeah. Well, and again, that I went through it five years ago. Or shit. Yep, five years ago. And, um, and maybe they've made a lot of changes since then. Um, I think my fundamental issue was... There's a few. <laughs> I didn't really understand the idea of giving um, 10 companies 50,000. I thought it would have been more interesting to give five companies 100,000. Mm. Um, or I think it was even 20 companies. They were giving 20 companies $50,000. Like, why wouldn't you give the best 10 $100,000? Because $50,000 isn't really that much money mm. when it comes to a startup. Um, like, really unless you have a model that is profitable and already paying you, it only allows for another position or, you know, a potential upgrade to whatever your service is offering. And, um, and then my second probably bigger issue was that the judges were just nobodies. Mm. (laughs) I remember we were, we were pitching a, um, mobile, um, uh, mobile uh, platform in the automotive realm, which is fairly niche. And the judges were just all over the place. I think there was somebody from the uh, a president of a cruise line, uh, some guy that owned a local mattress company, you know, and I just felt like 
the time that we spent explaining what we were doing, there was only one person, Gabe Lozano from Locker Dome, mm. who actually had any sort of questions relevant to what we were doing. And we were already profitable and making money wow. and had positions and roles and everything to where a lot of the other companies weren't even making money. A lot of it was just, here's my concept. I think it's good. Sure. And we're like, we're making money. We have clients. We'll literally use this 50 grand to hire a salesperson. And then from there on, it's off to the races. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that's one perspective. Of course, I obviously didn't sell it well enough or didn't communicate it well enough to people in order to understand. So that's my downfall. But at the same time, it's just, it also felt at that point like a, a sales pitch for St. Louis mm. because they would take you on tours around the city and say like, here's the neighborhoods and then here's some housing. And they would take you to a new loft uh, uh, project. And I'm sitting there and I just went out of curiosity and the loft is like $1,800 a month. And it's right next to the Arch Grants building. I'm like, okay, so if somebody signs a lease for this after winning Arch Grants, they're already spending, I can't do the math, 20,000-ish dollars on their lodging Yeah. <laughs> if they have no money. So that automatically takes $20,000 out of their $50,000. Sure. And they're definitely making money somehow with uh, referring this specific loft project. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm like, yeah. this is all bullshit. You That's know? interesting. I, I, and so I, I, I voiced my feelings afterwards and, you know, maybe they took into consideration, maybe not. Uh, I, I have no idea what the current state of the program is at. Yeah, me neither. And so I, you know, I think it could be a lot better or who knows. Sure. Regardless though, all that smack talk aside, it is beneficial that it exists no matter what. Totally. Because those kind of things build hype, hype builds interest, yeah. and brought you guys here. I guess it kind of depends on sort of where you're at in your company. True. You know, like back in 2009, I went through Y Combinator in, mm -hmm. in Silicon Valley. And at the time, this is very different now, but at the time you had to give up 6% of your company right? and you got $15,000 for it. Oh, wow. And that was to sort of like, the idea was- I didn't know that. Yeah, $15,000. I didn't know it was that piss poor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's 150 grand now. So oh my it's, God. So it's different. Yeah. But at the time, you know, that's supposed to cover the costs of keeping yourself alive for at least three months. You know, that's the idea. It's like you, sure. you sort of work on the thing for three months, you kind of get to the point where you can maybe raise a bit more money. Yeah. Um, so, you know, survive, you have to pay rent. Like in our case at the time, you had to like keep the servers online kind of thing. Like it's not very much money. Did you, f did it feel um, like a philanthropic endeavor? I know it's, I feel like, how would you describe Y Combinator at that state? I know it's, um, you know, an incubator. Yeah. And like very micro funding at that point. Did it feel philanthropic at all, or did it feel like... In, in what sense? Well, I feel like that there's always been a higher purpose to Y Combinator, and one, to invest in promising young startups, but then also they're getting 6% for 15 grand. Mm. Did you feel at all like, wait a minute here? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, no. Okay, not, cool. Not at all. Yeah. At the time, I was, I forget exactly what it was, pretty young, like very early 20s, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Like, truthfully, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Yeah. It's like, not even exaggerating. Like, so I, I guess to backtrack a little bit, this this company was called Daily Booth. It was like my first company that really went anywhere, I yes. would say. Um, it was a social network. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it was a social network built around the uh, webcams in like built-in webcams and laptops or yep. like Macs and that kind of thing. So it's pre-app store, pre-front-facing camera, like this <laughs> kind of dates it. So this is 2000, 2009, like I said. Um, and, uh, you know, at the time it wasn't, I never had some sort of like big business plan or really like, you know, sure. never knew how to make, we were talking about this actually before the podcast started, like yeah. the best, my favorite projects are projects that like you just do because they're fun. You yep. want to do them, not because they're like, going to be super profitable or whatever. Right. So usually how I think about stuff. So the idea was every day you'd come to this website and you would take a picture of yourself and mm -hmm. add a little sort of journal entry, essentially sort of summarizing your day. And over time you'd kind of create this sort of like flick book of your life, essentially. Mm. I don't know if you ever saw any of those viral videos of people taking a picture of themselves every day and, and, you know, yeah, five the, years, um, 10 years, that kind Noah of Noah Kalina? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was basically the guy that inspired this. He's a big uh, photographic inspiration to me. Yeah. His work is incredible. Yeah. Uh, he's really good stuff. And yeah, I remember his hair like growing out and then getting cut and then growing out. That's what out. I love about it. It's so interesting, like seeing someone like visibly age and yes. like their styles change. Mm -hmm. And like, I just thought that was the coolest concept. I wanted to do it, but you know, at the time, the only way to do that would be like, just do it manually, like buy a camera yep. and every day, like, you know, upload it to your computer, make a fold. Like it was just, I didn't trust myself to actually stick to that. Yeah. You know? It's a lot of work. Well, not really, but those repetitive things can, unless he had like the camera sitting right next to his toothbrush. Right. <laughs> That's not a bad idea, actually. It's a good, good way of doing it. Um, but so that, that was the idea. So, you know, you, you come to the website, you do this and then mm -hmm. the sort of social part is you can follow other people. Um, and then did it, create these videos at the end of the year yeah oh cool yeah that's awesome um so what was uh i guess to bring this back to yc um we launched it or I, you know with this uh, my, my technical co-founder ryan at the time mm -hmm. it's just like i said just a fun little thing just wasn't really expecting anything to happen had you had projects prior to this yeah like in, did you go to school or uh i didn't go to college well okay. i should i went to college in uh -huh. England, which I think is the equivalent of your high school, essentially. Sure. Never went to university. Gotcha. Um, the only reason why I didn't is because I was already sort of messing around with like internet stuff. And I was like, yep. this is what I want to do anyway. So it doesn't seem yep. like there's any kind of point. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so bringing this back to YC. So we launched it. It just kind of hit a nerve. It, it, mm -hmm. it, it grew quicker than we were expecting it to. It, it quite quickly it was embraced by the then brand new YouTube community. And, and we mm. were kind of rate, riding that wave of, of YouTube growth. Um, but a side effect of that was like, <laughs> it, we maxed out like two credit cards keeping this thing online because the, the servers were oh just like melting. Like I said, <laughs> there's no business model, no plan. It was just like, what the fuck are we doing? Like this seems like it's going well, but like, yeah really all that's happening is we're just bleeding money every month, you know? So 16,000 felt like a relief, like. Well, yeah, it was, it was, it was partly the money, but also it was like, okay, we have some adults in the room now. <laughs> like they're going to help us navigate the situation. Yeah. And they really did. Like that's cool. it, it, it absolutely was worth the 6% to like, you know, get to the point where we could raise like an actual round from people. So mm -hmm. yeah, uh, YC is great. Awesome. And it sounds like it's just developed even more fully these days. If you're receiving 150,000, yeah, you think it's more stringent these days to get in? Um, hard to say actually. 
There's definitely a lot more people applying, and I think the rounds are bigger. Well, actually, I, t- I take that back. I, th- I think they kind of they go through the, they went through this sort of arc of like upping the number of people, like you know, startups they'd accept in each each batch, mm-hmm. and then I think they sort of realized that it, the administration it was getting out of hand a little nightmare. bit, so they started like <laughs> scaling it back. But I'm yeah. not really sure where they where they've landed right now. I think it's probably less than the peak, but sure. more than it was when I was going through it. And you don't have any involvement with like judging or... Well, they have an interesting process actually. So they have, you know, thousands of applications mm-hmm. like a couple of times a year. And the way that they sort of, you know, figure out what's worth, the people who are worth interviewing, they get uh, sort of graduates of, of previous batches to look at the applications. Mm-hmm. And it's honest, it's super fun. <laughs> like it's honestly kind of like they've built out this custom system that's kind of like Tinder essentially. So, you know, you, you like, you know, you see this, this, this one application, you can read through all the answers, you can watch the video. And then there's like, I think there's maybe three options, which is like, hmm. this is very promising. This isn't promising at all. Or oh. like, I have a conflict of interest. I know this person, so I shouldn't judge this kind of thing. <laughs> but it's so fun. It's kind of like dragons, or not dragons den, uh, Shark Tank. Oh yeah. But you can just sit there and it's just fascinating. Just What's see. dragons den? It's the same show, but in the UK. UK, okay. Yeah. I would like to think that dragons den came first, but I don't actually know that for a fact, but it's the exact same format. I'm surprised that they haven't done like a dragons versus sharks tank like den. Crossover or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see like the dragons pitch the sharks or, or like. Yeah, I've never seen Shark Tank. To be fair, it's, it's uh, an interesting show. That's that's what I hear. Um, I've seen YouTube snippets, but I've never. Everybody's like, you should go on Shark Tank, and I'm like, yeah. I think it's. <laughs> I honestly think it's. You get terrible, terrible, terrible terms. Yeah, like oh, yeah. the only reason to do it is the visibility. Exactly. So you just go on there. You basically just you know, hope they give you an offer maybe just for the, the optics of it. Yeah. And then you actually just like, don't, don't accept it. it. Don't need to do yeah. it. Yeah. That's the way to do it, I think. Um, sorry, you just wiped my brain with Shark Tank and, <laughs> and, and Dragon's Den. Uh, so you went through that whole process and it was, you were able to re- receive another round of funding. Yeah. The adults we, in the room and then, and it started to grow. I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, so we went through YC. We uh, they helped us raise a, a awesome round from some amazing investors, which at the time was just like an absolute dream come true. Mm-hmm. You know, I was living in the UK, always wanted to move to America. Like I said, I always thought it was the best country in the world. No way. <laughs> Maybe not always, but when I was old enough to really like have opinions on yeah. it, I always wanted to move to America. I always thought it was really cool. That's funny. I think. The thought is is that um, people outside the states, at least from you know like uh, Americans in the Midwest who live in a you know a blue bubble in St. Louis, they're like, oh god, they hate us, the ugly Americans, you know. And every time I've traveled, um, everyone I've met is like, no, what's up, man? How you yeah. doing? Like, no, America's cool. Like you have you have the movie accents. Totally. <laughs> Seriously, that's a that's a big part of it. Yeah. Like like growing up with American TV shows and American movies, it's kind of, it's hard not to fall in love with the But country. that's, you know, it's Notting Hill. I mean, it's the same. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're looking to the rest of the world and we're like, I just remember like young 
girlfriends being like, oh, he's so hot. He's got the best accent. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's the exact same thing. It's just all context, isn't it? It's the just like- is greener. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like if, if you went to the UK, you, everyone would love your accent and they would talk to you all the time. <laughs> well, you know, I am a European citizen now. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I got my uh, Irish citizenship. Okay, how's, how's that going to work with the whole uh, Brexit situation? Um, I well, Bre Ireland's not exiting. Oh, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So okay. I'm still part nice. of the, the union. Nice. Um, and I have done a small bit of research into Brexit, and it is eternally confusing. Uh, I try to keep up on it, but at this point, Ireland doesn't really have to worry about that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. Um, I haven't really taken advantage of it. I just have the papers sitting over there. You get to have the option. I need to get my passport. Yeah. And then once I have that, um, anytime I have some sort of health need, I'll just be going right over <laughs> I do plan to get a, um, um, a loft or apartment or house cool. somewhere. And then potentially, you know, obviously shipping from EU is you save a ton of money. Sure. Maybe set up some fulfillment kind of thing over there. Uh, tax haven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, you know, I haven't really dove into it quite yet, except, except from, you know, drinking Guinness all the time. Sure. It is a part of my identity, I guess I would say. That's awesome. Growing up with it. And now I'm like, oh, I'm actually fucking Irish. <laughs> I'm, I call it American Irish instead yeah. of Irish American. I'm like, I'm an American first, but now I'm an Irish as well. <laughs> I've never been to Ireland. Oh my God. I'd love to go. It's gorgeous. It is it lives up to the postcards is what I would say. Mm. It is as green as you would hope it would be. And, um, you know, there's a lot of similarities though, I think in terms of, uh, culture and friendliness and, you know, I've, I haven't been, I've only been to, uh, um, England once and then Scotland twice. So, you know, there's a common bond, obviously sure. that connects all the places together. But, um, it just, it's just got a great feeling. You know, there's cities that are cool and city Dublin's okay. It's just big city. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. I prefer Belfast. It's just a smaller city than the, the city that the country is known for. Sure. And it, it's just got a little more history. I kind of prefer that wherever I go. Like if I go to, um, France, I prefer Lyon instead of Paris. Hmm. Like Paris is just like, you know, sensory overload. And Lyon, I can grasp in my head. Uh, I can get an idea of what the outlay of the city is like, you know, what the people are like a little bit better. You can't do that with like international cities. Yeah. It's, it's too hard to like put into your mind on one or two visits. What's your favorite American city? Um, well, aside from St. Louis, <laughs> which it is, it honestly is. And it took me a while to consider it that yeah. I had to move away in order to appreciate it. I think I'm in the same boat with that. It's nice to have that context, isn't it? It is because it's, you know, me, my girlfriend and I talk about this all the time, but it's like there, how often do you have places where if I, somebody knocked me out and put me in a trunk and drove me anywhere in the city, I could know where I was within walking two blocks. It's <laughs> an interesting way. You know what I mean? Like if the, if there's some sort of weird kidnapping mafia thing that had happened and I got drugged or knocked out, I could wake up and honestly it's happened before. Not, I have never been kidnapped. Okay. Let, me, let me preface that. <laughs> but I have woken up 
in a strange place and been like, well, by God, where am I? (laughs) Get outside, walk two blocks. I'm like, oh, I know. Right. That's interesting. Um, Aside from St. Louis, I, um, I really appreciate Seattle. Mm -hmm. I like Seattle quite a bit. I've come around to Portland. I, I like Portland quite a bit now. I didn't like it the first few times I went, but I've come to understand its charm. Um, I love, I mean, I, I love a lot of, I love LA, but I, after two weeks I get kind of like, okay, time to get out of here. Yeah. Time to go where, <laughs> anywhere else. I haven't experienced enough of the East coast. Honestly, I've been to New York up until this year only once. And now I've been five times oh, wow. just with all the chaos that's ensued. Um, what about you? What's aside from St. Louis American city? Um, uh, this isn't, I guess this is kind of a sidestep to your question, but I really like driving through sort of middle America, like middle of nowhere yeah. kind of thing. Like Kansas. Well, <laughs> not, probably not Kansas. Sorry if anyone's listening from Kansas, but yeah, like my most fun holiday is just uh, when I first got my car, actually. Oh, nice. I uh, was living in San Francisco at the time and no destination, just sort of like loosely, like maybe we'll drive to Vegas kind of thing. Oh, like, that's cool. And it was just like the coolest thing, like no, no plans, just like mm-hmm. meandering around, like stopping at those little like antique shops on the side of the road. Like yeah. everything is just fascinating and cool. Yep. And it's like some interesting history. And that's my favorite part about America. I know that's kind of not really answering your question. <laughs> I haven't spent much time in New York, but I really like New York. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first moved to America, or sorry, when I first came to America, first city I came to was Miami. And I remember thinking, again, this is coming from growing up with American TV shows mm. and, and movies and watching <laughs> Friends all the time, just kind of assumed that America was just like Friends, the TV show, you know? It was like, <laughs> all, everything was just like yeah. New York City. And I don't know if you've been to Miami, but yeah, it's very like different it. to New York City. <laughs> I think Miami sucks. Yeah, yeah. At um, least the parts of Miami that I've been to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like Miami, but it was just was not what I was expecting. It's yeah. very like, not like New York City. Um, <laughs> so I just kind of, I think I've kind of had this like, I just kind of have fallen in love with the idea of New York City, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I guess that would be my answer. No, that's cool. And but how many times have you been there? two or three, not, okay. very, not very many. Yeah, it's it's incredible. You know, yeah. it's intoxicating. There is basically, you know, the density is so high that each five to 10 block radius is its own city. Yeah. And you can find everything you need within that radius. And it, it's um, and it's always open and there's always something going on. And it's always the height of what the world is looking at, you know? Yeah, it has such a buzz. Like, you really feel that, like, city buzz. Totally. But, you know, again, cost of living, like, I went there last minute in July, and it was 100 degrees, and anytime you go out to do anything, you're spending, like, 100 bucks. Yeah. I'm not even talking about social. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, okay, I got to get some breakfast for tomorrow and like, uh, got to check on this and that. And you, you get sure. an Uber, go to the store. Like, why is this mango $7? <laughs> yeah. Like that doesn't seem right. And, uh, just little, always like weird hidden expenses and everything that you do. I'm like, this is insane. Yeah. And it, when it's, when it's a hundred degrees, you, the smell is just a brand new thing. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. 
I feel like I'm just wafting through some fat man's underwear <laughs> that's just been blown up to city scale. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so I hated it. When I went back a couple more times, the weather was much nicer. I'm like, oh, this is great. This feels yeah. good. I love it. I can get into the rhythm now. Nice. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of other great cities. Seattle is definitely up there. I like the accessibility to the ocean, the mountains, you know, uh, temperate climate. Yeah. It's just nice. And I don't mind things being that overcast. Yeah. I always work better when the weather's not that great outside. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> when it's, when it's overcast and gloomy, I'm like, cool. I'm just going to buckle down. Yeah. Nothing else to do. There's not a beautiful sun shining. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to go outside anytime soon. That's funny. <laughs> so what was, what happened to daily booth then? So for a while it, it kind of, it was going well. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that, it's kind of binary. You know, yeah. it's kind of like it either works like really, really well and becomes the next Facebook or it like falls short of that and fails. Yeah. Um, and for, for a couple of years, it was like, okay, like this feels like it, it, it's, it might kind of break into the mainstream. We had this like really passionate, engaged sort of core user base that like loved the product, but we just had trouble, I think, like, it, it always just felt like sort of a niche behavior, I think. And mm. I think a lot of people, I don't know. It, 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 yeah, it just felt kind of niche and it never really just like broke through to the mainstream. So the growth started to slow down. We found it harder and harder to sort of raise more money. Um, and eventually it just kind of became obvious that it wasn't gonna kind of break through. Were um, you? Did you feel on the hook to all the people that had invested or at that point where you like, uh, I know how startups work. They to, need to go through the to money. To an extent. <laughs> I mean, you always kind of have that kind of sure. feeling, you know, like it, it, especially when you're talking about that amount of money, you know, we raised, I might be slightly wrong here. I think we raised like a, just over a million dollars seed round. And then we mm -hmm. raised a few more million in a series A. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, obviously there was a big part of me that was like, oh God, like this. Is it, can you remember even how many investors that would be split up in? Um, it was a decent chunk of investors. Okay. Um, so, you know, a few strategic angels mm -hmm. we had like, I, we had a really good investment round. We had uh, uh, Ashton Kutcher was an investor. He's uh, like, uh, that was like oh. a big name celebrity investor. Yeah, we had a, a few, uh, <laughs> Uh, sort of really good, uh, like, you know, VC firms, like Sequoia was invested. Mm -hmm. um, few sort of like really big name angels at the time, which at the time was just like, made me so pumped that we managed to get these people. Like Kevin yeah, Rose was one of them. Oh, Gary yeah. Vaynerchuk was yeah. one of them. I, it just like, it was like uh, <laughs> at the time, 2009, it was like, I couldn't have put together like a, a more perfect round, honestly. So yeah, it's like, all these people you really respect and you are you interacting with them or uh, not, not really mostly just like the initial conversation and then you know the periodic investor update kind mm -hmm. of thing so it's 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 pretty hands off for the most part um but yeah it, it was a stressful time obviously like you want things to go well you want sure. to make the investors money you want the company that you've thrown <laughs> everything successful. into to be successful <laughs> yeah exactly um Luckily, we, we had sort of, sort of a soft landing. Like most of the team was accu-hired by Airbnb. Um, and 
it was Did you say accu hired like acquired yeah. hired yeah i'm sorry i've like, never heard that it's it's i it's one of those things that like i'm only on season three of silicon okay. Valley, so. <laughs> it's it's basically a fancy term for saying the company failed but the team yes. got hired in a way that the investors like still did okay it's a, it's a success it's, i wouldn't call it a success okay. it's like not a failure gotcha you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and it, it was an interesting sort of deal because at the time um we didn't really know if anyone would do well we didn't really know if investors would get any money back it's sort of based the, the way that the the funding is structured is like uh essentially investors get their money back first mm-hmm. um and the deal was for Airbnb stock. And at the time it's like, you know, they're worth a lot less then than they are now. So the sort yeah. of big question mark was like, okay, right now it's a loss, but we just hang on to the stock and maybe at some point in the future investors might make some money kind of kind of deal. So I think investors will end up coming out ahead. Will? Or? Will will. Oh, okay. Um they haven't done yet. It all oh, happens wow. when Airbnb goes public and still kind oh, of remains to be right. seen. But um yeah, it's stressful. You know, like <laughs> um, as a founder, did you receive Airbnb stock as well? Then uh, it's it's kind of complicated. So I still own Daily Booth stock, mm-hmm. and Daily Booth owns Airbnb stock. Interesting. So it sort of flows through, and like it's hard to really figure out because of all the yeah. you know investor terms and all that sort of thing. So don't know. TBD. Purgatory. Yeah. Um, I have actually forgotten your original question. Um, I did too. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Uh, I also have, I'm wearing glasses because my eye, I don't, did you get my email? I said my eyelid is swollen. Oh, I didn't get your email. So I'm not looking at your crotch. Oh. I don't have a crotch eye going on. Okay, no worries. I had this to is, on that. I have this weird swollen eyelid. Uh, so I'm like constantly like, ah, this fucker itches. <laughs> um, I guess I was just curious as to the entire evolution of Daily Booth, what happened and oh, yeah. what did it lead to. So, yeah. So you got Accu hired by Airbnb. Then it just got shut down. You got to hang out with Demi Moore and Ashton Kutcher. Uh, I, <laughs> hung out, I hung out with Ashton once he came to the office. Uh-huh. And honestly, it was just, I was just like kind of awkward and starstruck and like, yeah. just, I just, I mean, I imagine about it. The, coming over from <laughs> where you were at yeah. and you're like, you're watching Friends and you're watching movies and you come over and you're like, I'm meeting Ashton Kutcher. Is this how America so works? Fucking surreal. So fucking surreal. <laughs> yeah. There's, another, there's an interesting part of that story which I didn't actually mention, which is I got banned from America for a while. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I should actually rephrase. I didn't really get banned from America. but So the way that YC works is you're supposed to come out to California for 90 days, mm-hmm. three months. And, you know, they help you get everything together. They, like, help you, like, put a pitch together. They, like, help you sort of, you know, make a good company, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's ready to raise more money. Um, and America has this thing called the Visa Waiver Program. Of course, yeah. Just, like, you can come for 90 days. No questions asked, really. You don't need a full oh, visa. You it's stayed. Easy. What do you say? And you stayed? No, not quite. <laughs> um, that would be really bad if I did that. Okay. It's not quite that bad. <laughs> But basically, like, like I flew into into actually Denver. I had a layover in Denver before I went to San Francisco, and I just got I got flagged. You know, there's that you, know, you get questioned at customs, and they, they ask you these questions, and if you say something wrong, or if they think like oh, yeah. your name is flagged in some database or something, they you know they make you go into some second interview room oh, kind I've, of deal. I'm very familiar. Yeah, some Kevin Kelly in the IRA 
Did some bad shit. No way. I got flagged for a decade. Oh, damn, dude. It okay, was well, awful. You can feel my pain for this yes, then. Yes, it's awful. So I was just being <laughs> honest. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they were asking me these questions. So like, what, how long are we going to be here? I was like, uh, 90 days, which is like the actual limit, mm-hmm. you know? But I was like, well, still the limit. Like, yeah. what's wrong with that? Yeah, it's, I'll leave on the 90th yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that already raised a few eyebrows, you know? They were like, okay, uh, how much money do you have? You know, and I was like, well, actually, I I think I have twenty dollars, and that's it. <laughs> and they, and and they were actually, like the, the person was sort of trying to kind of help me out. So like, do you have any uh, credit cards or family? anyone else who, like you know like family that are going to give you money? I was like, nope. <laughs> and basically, you know, I was in my head, I was like, well, we're going to get this check from YC, and like it will be fine, and like, but I think. From their perspective, they were like, what the fuck is this yeah. talking about? <laughs> the other thing that, that happened, which I realized, like, this is just like a huge, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this part of it, but basically there was, they challenged me. They were like, well, you don't have much luggage for 90 days. And I sort of proudly said, I was like, actually, I have everything I own in this suitcase, which I later found out was the worst thing I could have said because it implies that like- You're there for a while. I'm basically not planning on coming back. Like <laughs> I have everything I own. Yeah. <laughs> but in my head I was like, oh, well, I'm fucking minimalist. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, um, but that, that was like another sort of red flag. So basically I threw up a lot of red flags <laughs> and then I got sent to the second interview room and I just think it was like, a really weird, suspicious story, you know? Like, I was trying to tell them the truth. Just like, yeah, I started this company. It's about, like, taking a picture of yourself. I'm the CEO of it. And I'm just, you know, I'm, like, 20-year-old kid with, like, skinny jeans. Mm -hmm. It's like, everything is, like, nothing's adding up, you know, I don't don't think. And it was kind of scary. Like, you know, at this point, I'd missed my connecting flight. They, like, searched everything, gone through all my stuff, like, asked me these, like, really, like, pressing questions, stuff like that. Um, And the, the guy who was interviewing me, like it was like it was like this kind of situation. Like everything was being recorded. He asked me a question, and I I asked a clarifying question. I was like, "So, do you mean this or do you mean this?" And he literally was like typing out my clarifying question, like on the record. I was like, "Fucking hell!" <laughs> um, so he asked me this question, which basically was like, "Are you are you planning on talking to an immigration lawyer at any point?" And the way that he asked that question made it sound like a really good idea. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm, I, that sounds like a good idea. Like, obviously, I've, this is not good. Like, I've missed my connecting flight. Like, I don't want to be in this sort of situation again. Like, sure, I'll talk to an immigration lawyer kind of thing. Wrong answer. Exactly. Like, he took that <laughs> as that was me trying to seek full-time citizenship under the visa waiver program, which uh, is apparently, like, explicitly forbidden. So the unfortunate side effect was that. He basically said, okay, I'm refusing you entry into the U.S. right now. I'm gonna put you back on the next flight back to London. And basically that's it. Like you have to sort of figure something out and come back. The issue was though, is if you get refused entry under the visa waiver program, you can never come back under the visa waiver program. So the only way to come back is to get a full visa essentially. And the issue with that is I didn't go to university because I wanted to do this this company. And the the only way you can really get a work visa is if you have a degree. Exchange, Yeah. yeah. So I was in this like weird spot where, you know, Daily Booth at the time was working really well. We, you know, just going through YC, eventually we ended up raising money. We like had this office and like this, this 
team of employees. Like my dream had come true, essentially. <laughs> and you couldn't but <laughs> I couldn't meet any of them. I couldn't go to the office for the company I started. And I was stuck in the UK with no prospects of coming to the US, the country that I All had always of dreamed of, of moving to. The innocence of misunderstanding at a youthful age. <laughs> and like, yeah, sure, I'll get a lawyer. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. The nice thing, well, this is one of the reasons why I think YC was totally worth it. So basically like they really helped with the whole visa process. It's awesome. And and there was it was interesting like I really had two options and they were both like complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. One we were looking into potentially like a student visa. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be like, like I'd somewhere. come and I'd go to college but like also run this company, you know? <laughs> That's on the sort of like one end. The other end was there's this category of visa called it's called the O1. And if you look up that on, on Wikipedia, the, the title is something like Alien of Extraordinary Ability. And it's it literally says something like like Nobel Prize winners or mm-hmm. something like that. So it's like totally opposite ends of the spectrum. And like you have to get all you have to jump through all these hoops to even like sure. qualify for this like O1 visa. And to be clear, like I don't think I qualified, <laughs> but we had such good investors that they like yeah. like for, one of the things we had to do was we had to write 10, have 10 letters from like industry legends basically. And they like helped with all of that. Like we got like amazing like squad of letters and people basically saying like, (laughs) this guy is a genius. Like, you know, he (laughs) needs to be in the country. Like, and I, I, like I said, I don't think that's actually true. Or were these just people associated with Y Combinator? Uh, They were, a mix. I'm hesitant to sort of say who they are because I don't want. Oh, to, don't. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it, it's it, they were like very well known people in the industry. So oh, like, awesome. But people who like investors were pulling strings, basically. Sure, sure, like sure, they sure. didn't really know me. It was just like they were calling in favors, kind of deal. Um. So eventually, managed to get that figured out. But that would not have happened without like YC's help and all of the investors' help. So they did that while you were in limbo at the airport. No, they did. The, I was stuck in the UK for like a year. Oh, so you did go back? Yes. Okay. And uh, so I had an interesting YC experience because I obviously wasn't there. <laughs> but they they shared their office at the time with this company called AnyBots. Hmm. AnyBots is like a, a telepresence robot company. So it's like imagine like automated. It's not automated. Imagine like a robot. It's, it, it's sort of like imagine a Segway with a head. <laughs> And now imagine like you Skype. <laughs> well, so I, I was like in the UK mm-hmm. with like, it looks like a sort of Skype application, but there's like like a forward button, a backwards button. You can actually you can control, you can bend from the sort of torso. I vaguely remember these. Actually. Yeah. You can also move the head around. There's also yeah. like a little laser pointer that you can point things out. So basically it just looks like Skype on my end, but you can like drive it around. <laughs> so for all of the all of the YC like meetings and dinners and stuff, you I was anybody? I was a robot, which was actually <laughs> awesome. That's because, amazing. Because honestly, I, I really think it helped make me a lot more memorable in that batch. I was a fucking robot. Were they in? Were they in Y, y Combinator? Or was this a successful company? This was one of the partners of Y Combinator. Mm. Also had this telepresence robot company. What happened to that? I don't, I mean, they're not around anymore. I, I don't obviously. actually know what happened to it. They might still be around. I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was cool. Did you get to meet your any robot? 
Uh, so the people like fuck with it. And, uh, <laughs> dude, there's this one time. Pen 15 on uh, your robe. <laughs> I, like, I can't remember. Like, I was just trying to be funny at mm-hmm. one of the dinners. And like I said, you can control the uh, like the torso. Oh, okay. So you can sort of bend him in half. And, and, and it, like I said, it's like a segue. So mm-hmm. like it sort of balances. And like if you lurch forward, it sort of like doesn't stop instantly because it has to kind of self-balance kind of thing. Anyway, I needed to sneeze. <laughs> like when I was, I was in England, I needed yes. to sneeze. And I was like, oh, this would be funny. Like I'll sneeze. But as I'll sneeze, I'll like move the robot's torso uh, as, if, as if it's like sneezing. <laughs> Like, yeah, this would be hilarious. So I did it. I sneezed. I like sneezed as I moved the slider, which like bent him in half. What I didn't realize though is the robot was right against a wall. <laughs> and because it sort of, when you like bend it in half, it sort of lurches back a little bit. The, the bend in the robot hit the wall and I lurched forward <laughs> like a significant amount. And like, I think the people in the room were like, what the fuck? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Just had a sneeze. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was a weird. So you eventually made it into Y Combinator physically, replacing the robot. Well, this is uh, Y Combinator was well over at that point. Oh, okay. So it took, like I said, like over a year to actually mm-hmm. get the visa and come to the US. Which honestly, that kind of reminds me of the, what we're talking about, the sort of delayed, delayed gratification of driving through Kansas and then you get to, <laughs> you get to Colorado. The equivalent would be the delayed gratification of not being able to come to the US and just oh like dreaming God. about it and then eventually getting here and it's like, oh, thank you. You just worked that whole year pretty much to yeah, stay at home. Basically like, working nights as well oh because God, it's like of course, the time difference. Of course. But honestly, it was really fun. I like, it was a really fun time. Like the company was going really well. Like yeah. it was growing. It, it was a blast. That's awesome. And so when you came over, Y Combinator was done and the company was functioning? Yeah, at that point we'd raised couple million dollars we had this mm-hmm. office which obviously i you know nature of the product everyone takes photos all the time i'd seen like a lot of pictures of but i had never actually visited yeah um so it was like such a surreal experience you know turning up to the office of a company that you started being the new kid yeah. essentially like understanding all the actual sort of like dynamics of everybody. Like I remember I had to ask where like the bathroom was. Like it was such an interesting experience, but a really interesting. The one. bathroom to your own company. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then what happened? Uh, well, you told me you got Accu hired by Airbnb. Right. And so then what did you end up doing once that occurred? Did you go back or? So I'd actually left right before the acquisition. Gotcha. Um, so I never went to Airbnb. And you could kind of see the writing on the wall maybe, or were you, what was your, what was yeah. your state of mind? So it's, it's sort of an interesting situation. So when Daily Booth started, like the, the wind had kind of taken out of its sails. Mm-hmm. We were sort of like, okay, like we either need to like figure something out and like blow this up, you know, yeah. cause we were kind of were on the hook to like, like I said, it's kind of a binary thing or, um, figure something else out, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, internally what ended up happening was we, we kind of like had this idea for this slightly different app. It was sort of the same kind of space it was photo sharing, but it was like a different kind of concept. Um, we worked on that for a few months. It's like a pivot. Of sorts. It kind of was a pivot. Yeah. It was kind of a hedge. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was like daily booth. We didn't like shut it down or anything. It was still working. Sure. It was just, we just kind of neglected it for a few months kind of thing. <laughs> um, that other product was, 
I was less involved with that other product and, and Daily Booth was always sort of my baby, like mm. my focus, you know? So when it became clear that like that was going to be the new focus, it, it kind of just felt like a good time to sort of take a step back and, and, and you know. Yeah, reevaluate. Exactly. Um, but after, after Daily Booth, yeah, just didn't really know what I was going to do next, honestly, just kind of floundering around for a while. Taught myself how to, I should actually rephrase that because that's not very, it's a bit disingenuous. I was going to say taught myself how to program, but <laughs> I, I, I dabbled with programming to the point where I, I felt like I had a very loose understanding, like built a few like extremely basic iPhone apps and like a few other things. Sure, sure. Um, wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And then um, one of another, like I've always just had like some kind of project going on. Like we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the time I'd always just, just been doing software, like mostly like internet websites, apps, that kind of thing. And I'd always liked the idea of, of trying to make something physical, like some sort of physical product that you can like hold. Um, yeah. so I started dabbling with this idea for a iPhone case company. Mm. Again, it wasn't to like, didn't think it'd be a big business. Didn't, wasn't really like. What city were you in? This is San Francisco. Okay, San Fran. And, and it, you had been paying yourself a salary out of the funding? Uh, no, this is after I'd already left. Okay. This is like no At funding. the time, though, like part of the funding was obviously living yeah, expenses exactly. for you. Exactly. Um, so you weren't completely, you, you had more than 20 bucks in your pocket. Yeah, yeah, at that point. <laughs> at that point, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was just something that I wanted, honestly. Like at the time, I thought iPhone cases were just universally disgusting. What year was this? 2011, uh -huh. something like that. Yeah. And I just wanted an iPhone case. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to even, what iPhone model was out at that time? Um, it was the square one. It was the... Uh, oh, with the, with the flat edges? The nice edges. Mm -hmm. yep. I missed that phone. I still have one. Oh, dude, somewhere. it's the best one. I really do. But yeah, it was like... There's that whole antenna bullshit, though. Oh, I do remember that. Antenna gate. Right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, if you have an iPhone case on your phone, it, you know, drop calls because you're covering oh. the antenna. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, it was like, I just wanted an iPhone case. It wasn't disgusting. Yeah. I looked into it. Not an Otterbox or a... Well, that was the thing. Like, you know, you spend all this money on like a nice phone. Mm -hmm. And then you chuck on this like huge case with... <laughs> not only is it huge. Like huge, I can kind of get. Like you want to protect it. Sure. But the thing that pissed me off was you have this like Otterbox mm -hmm. logo. <laughs> Or like an in-case logo. It's like, I yeah. don't fucking care about this like no. brand that no one's ever heard of. Or maybe people have heard of it, but whatever. It's like, that was the part that bothered me. So I just, again, just like dabbling around, like you know, figured out how to do it. Like found this factory that was doing something similar. It was just like, again, it wasn't, it was just a side project kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you know, threw together a little Shopify store, like totally half-assed everything. There was like no packaging. See, if I think back to like the first, that's a, that's a lot of, I mean, that's a lot of fast forwarding because I've done product development now too. And it's like, you're like, oh, just reach out to a, a factory. Yeah. I'm guessing China. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's still a lot of logistics that go into play. And did you, you didn't do a Kickstarter for it at that point? No. Uh, did you ever for uh, that company? We did uh, need one for a company. Okay. I didn't know if you did. Uh, this is Peel. This is Peel. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Um, so I just, just like threw that together, mm -hmm. seemed to resonate with people. Um, and then that just kind of turned into 
and like it, it was never a focus. It was just like, okay, this is like keeping me alive. You know, <laughs> this is like paying my rent kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Kickstarter. So that's how I, that's how I met Marshall. So, okay. Um, Were you doing self fulfillment, or did you figure fulfillment out? No, it was just dude. It's doing out of your apartment. Every, not even that. It was like I was handwriting every address. Oh my god! And with a sharpie. No label printer. No label printer. <laughs> with a sharpie, I would drive to the post office. There'd be audible groans. Everything paid me in that. How many orders were you getting a day? Depends. Depends on the day, but there were sure. some like big days. Average twenty. Just maybe something like that, yeah. Okay. Like I remember there's one day where we got featured on this I forget what it's called, but some sort of like fashion blog and we just like got like, you know, three hundred orders or something. Mm-hmm. It was like it was, it was this weird thing where it was like, obviously that's awesome, we've got three hundred orders, right. but at the time we were f- I was fulfilling it and writing addresses, it was like, fuck, you know, I don't yeah, want to bet. Yeah, like, I, don't I bet. Which <laughs> <laughs> obviously it probably took you a week about. or more. It, it it was a it was a I mean, I can't complain. It was it was it was it was fun. It was a fun problem to have, but um, anyway, like Marshall reached out because just through Twitter, we mm-hmm. hadn't hung out or anything, but or we didn't know each other before that. But he he basically said that you know, not very often you see someone go from software background like into hardware. Mm-hmm. He was basically doing the same thing, and he had this idea for this this bedding company, this sheet company, um, and that's kind of how we how we got talking. Decided to team up and and, and work on that company together. That's what we did the Kickstarter for. Cool. Um, and then just enjoyed working together. And he was in St. Louis at this point? Or no? Yes. Okay, cool. He was in St. Louis. Awesome. Um, so yeah, we enjoyed working together and just decided to basically spin up a sort of uh, incubator type model where sure. it was called Need Once, or mm-hmm. still exists. Um, but the idea was basically, you know, Peel ended up becoming part of Need One. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of keeping the lights on and sort of giving us this like unlimited runway essentially. But the model was always like, okay, let's just work on stuff that we want to build, just sort of do all these experiments, like mm-hmm. figure stuff out. Um, and something works, cool, like double down on it or spin it out or like you know, make that the focus. If something doesn't work, doesn't matter, fine, we'll just try something else, you know? The big key, I think, was that you documented the process and you were extremely transparent. And yeah. I thought that was fascinating um, to just be like, okay, here's how we do everything. Yeah. You know, here's here's what goes into the sausage. And um, that, I th- that was such a breath of fresh air because I think a lot of people spend so much time looking for advice like how do you do this mm. how do you how do you get funding how do you make something how do you you know why are you moving from san francisco to st louis or uh i'm just trying to remember some of them and um you guys were refreshingly just straightforward yeah like you basically people could recreate it if they wanted to it's a double-edged sword man like i'm we, sure it is we kind of we <laughs> at the beginning it was we we're super open about everything yeah and on the one hand, it was great because people seemed to find it interesting. Like it, 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 we sort of found that there was like always sort of like a small kind of core audience of people that were receptive to the stuff that we were working on and mm-hmm. it kind of gave us a sort of leg up when we launched anything new. The negative part of it though was 
we had a lot of copycats. <laughs> like, oh, really? Like, because we were just such an open book and we would tell everybody everything. So people literally did do that. Exactly. <laughs> okay, exactly. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, like, I, I think Marshall... You was, should have called them out in a blog post. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard. Like, in a way, it's, like, fair enough, right? I mean, we're telling people how we're doing stuff. It's like... You know, who are we to say not to do it? You know, what comes to mind is um, one of my favorite design studios is uh, Experimental Jet Set. Mm. And they came up with the format of the T-shirt that is John and John Ampersand, Paul Ampersand, uh, Ringo Ampersand, George, you know, the John and Paul and George Mm. and Ringo. And then that exploded into all these different T-shirts that had yeah, ham and cheese and sure. lettuce and tomato. And and what they ended up doing was owning it. And they just took every single ripoff that they could find, which they couldn't theoretically internationally own Helvetica with an ampersand next to it. Sure. But they put, they turned it into an art project. And they said, here's every example that we found of our format that we created for the Beatles t-shirt. And it was, uh, I thought that was a classy and clever way of owning it. That's cool. Um, but yeah, you could have totally just called people out. You know, I, I, it's such a hard thing because it's, I mean, you've dealt with patents and copywriting and trademarking as I have. And I have not done any international trademarking or copywriting because to a certain extent, I'm like, if China wants to rip this off, go for it. You know, I don't care. Yeah. Um, I, it, I don't have the kind of funding to... Uh, go after it from a legal perspective and I'm basing what I'm doing on that it's being made in America so if somebody wants to buy a Chinese version of it go for it yeah I don't care um, but yeah I can see if somebody if like you guys had a good way of making minimal items that it could be ripped off easily. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's, the, that's the phone thing. case and the notebook, it's like, okay, just apply a different brand yeah, to it. Man, that's interesting. <laughs> it's like part of the kind of core philosophy was basically super minimal branding. Yes. So it's like, I always just kind of, especially in the context of like iPhone cases or like any sort of like product like that, it's like, and I just want it to just be this purest thing. I don't want a huge logo on there, you know? So he sort of turned it into this oh, little, funny. like almost like a game. And it kind of kicked you in the butt though, I guess, because if you don't have enough signifying uh, aspects of your product. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's, a, it's interesting. But on the other side, it definitely resonated with people. People sure. seem to dig that. Yeah, and so um, how did the Kickstarter that you, that was, was that your first project working with Marshall? Kickstarter was. Okay. Yeah. And you weren't here yet? No, I, I guess I moved just after the Kickstarter. Gotcha. Um, I think so anyway. Um, the Kickstarter was a success mm-hmm. in terms of the campaign. Yeah. After that, it was a true disaster though. Um, like issue after issue with manufacturing. Eventually we ended up just getting ripped off by this manufacturer that we... we, we used there was like delay after delay lie after lie having to manage this like horrible dynamic between all of these backers that had given us money to get the product oh yeah and you know we're being told all this lies essentially from the manufacturer and like it's always one excuse another excuse another excuse like being in a situation where like we don't even really believe what he's saying but Mm -hmm. we have to kind of communicate that to the backers it was (laughs) 
a horrible, horrible situation. Yeah. Eventually, All the work happens after a Kickstarter gets funded. Dude, it's yeah. like you think that once you do a Kickstarter, you're like, okay, I can sit back and relax. No, you got to market that fucker yep. and make sure people see it and start getting news articles and you know, catching little viral waves of backers. And then once it gets funded, the nightmare becomes real. Seriously. And it's like, okay, now you... And it's like when we did our first one, we didn't really know about fulfillment. You know, yeah. it's like a quick thing that you have to learn and like, oh shit, yeah. stamps.com. All right, let me get this thermal printer. Totally. How do I import this spreadsheet from Kickstarter into stamps.com? Yeah. Yeah, eventually what happened was, I mean, we actually got ripped off. Like the, the manufacturer, I, I forget how much we lost, but it was tens of thousands of dollars. The only way we managed to get out of it was was Peel, was a saving grace. Like the fact that that was generating revenue and we could sort of siphon sure. some of that off and like make good by the promises to our backers, it would have been a very bad situation. So otherwise. did you have to pay your backers back? No, we, we delivered the product eventually. Oh, wow. We okay. had to just like find a new manufacturer. There was just like... Wow. Yeah, I feel terrible about it. Like talking about like Sorry, being ob yeah. obligated to your investors. Yeah. It's so much worse when it's people. Yeah, 3,000 people. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So that was an interesting experience. Oh, I can imagine. Um, th so did you keep that company going? Uh, it was acquired eventually. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so we don't own it anymore, but it's it still exists. It's, we we it's called Primary Goods now, PrimaryGoods.com. Oh, interesting. Okay, um, and do they still deal in the same things that you developed? Yeah, there's a there's also a mattress, which uh -huh. is uh, pretty cool. But it's just like a like a mattress.com. No, it, we made we, they made a mattress. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so that goes hand in hand then. Yeah, uh, was it like a breath of fresh air when you're like, <laughs> good night. <laughs> <laughs> Put that one to bed. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. <laughs> so Peel just kept pumping along, like really doing well, slowly introducing different products or different yeah, upgrades so, to the product. Yeah, like that. Basically, like the 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 model. Like I never. It's interesting. Like I said, like Peel was always just ah, oh, it's a side project. Like Learn never, as you go. never really had this like huge like big vision for it. And even when we were doing Need One, it was always like. Yeah, like Peel keeps lights on, but like let's let's focus on other stuff. Like let's yeah. like see what else we can get going, kind of thing. That's always the part I've like enjoyed doing. Um, after a while, though, it became like Peel was still growing, mm -hmm. and it kind of became harder and harder to justify working on anything else. So like because uh, you had so, all these different and enjoyable from an outside perspective side projects, like the ma the emoji masks. Yep. Um, Ma that's such a weird word. Masks. <laughs> Masks. Ma Masks. Ma Masks. Well, it sounds better when you say yeah. it. <laughs> um, but what were some of the other ones? Just kind of. Um, so we, yeah, Moji Masks was one that was a, that was a fun one. We did uh, this notebook company. Mm -hmm. It's like, a, it was a notebook with a, a hidden uh, prepaid shipping envelope yes. in the back. So when you, when you finished the notebook, you like just take out this, you basically ship it, throw it in the letterbox. And, and you then, scanned it? Yeah, and then it, you get every page backed up forever in this this app. Um, that was one that we did. Um, we dabbled with a few things that never came to fruition. We did a, uh, uh, we, we acquired and then ended up sort of rebranding and then ended up scrapping this uh, this virtual on-demand virtual assistant type company. This is all over text okay. message. Um, that was an interesting experience. Yeah, I can imagine. 
Um, On-demand virtual assistant? Yeah, so the model was, it was all over text message. Uh-huh. It was like- Is it AI? Well, it was supplement, well, I mean, that's just honestly marketing bullshit. It, it, it's uh-huh. like, it was a person, <laughs> but there was gonna be tools on the back end to like help that, like supplement that person's tours? job. Tools. Tools, sorry. sorry. Um, so for example, you know, so it was like, so all, all over text message, um, we were always figuring out the actual model, but initially it was going to be like a hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. You can just get them to do anything. So if there's like, you know, what do you pay, mean anything? Basically anything that they can do. Was there like a list of things? Well, so this is part <laughs> of the issue. It was like, it was literally anything, which just means that like scaling that is like almost impossible. Yeah. Um, that was like one of the issues that we were at. Like what, what were, give me like three top <laughs> All right, so it'd be, like, it'd be like, hey, pay this bill. Okay. Here's a picture of it. And like they'd have your credit card information on file and it would just and be this like- this is an actual person. Yes. That you also hired on the back end. Yes. And so they had to perform legally, I imagine. Exactly. There's a lot of security and legal liability built sure, in. Sure, okay, sure. Okay. But things like, you know. It's a simple idea that I'm just like, my mind is exploding with actually how complex it would be. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> unviable, let's just okay, say that. Okay. Um, yeah, it's interesting. There's, there's a couple of other companies that sprung up doing something similar. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Magic? Is, no. Basically the same thing. I actually don't know is what they're spelled doing differently? Don't think so. Okay, no. M A G I C. Um, but anyway, that was that didn't work. Um, it's ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny. Like, what was it called? Um, so, <laughs> so the reason why we ended up working on this, I we didn't launch this initially. This was something that we found on Product Hunt. And, oh, okay. Uh, I was just a customer, mm-hmm. and it was like a hundred bucks a month. Like I said. Oh, so it was a product that existed that you acquired? Sorry, say that again. Product that it already existed and you guys acquired? Yes. Oh, cool. Yes. So like we talked about it on the podcast. Oh, awesome. And I was like, oh, I fucking love this thing. Like I've, I'm getting, like it's making my life so much easier. Nice. You know? And then the guy that owned it, I think realized like, this is a bit of a logistical nightmare. <laughs> like I'm not enjoying this. I heard that we talked about it on the podcast in a very positive way and then gave us this like great deal on acquiring hey, it. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, yeah, it'll be a fun thing to like sort of dabble with. And then, yeah, it became quite quick. We realized like, yeah, this is not good business. Mm. This is, we just, yeah. So that was one. Um, God, my mind's going blank now. We, we dabbled with this, uh, this Airbnb host subscription service. Mm-hmm. So the model's like, you, if you have an Airbnb listing, you you hook up your Airbnb account, and then this service basically like pulls in the calendar data, like gets the name of the person that's going to come in, and then right before they arrive, sends them like a, a welcome package. So it has oh, like cool. you know maybe a little welcome note with their name in it, like mm-hmm. you know shampoo guy, yeah. that, whatever that sort of shit. <laughs> that also didn't end up coming to fruition. Um, but I mean, that was kind of the model though. It was just like, fuck around, like throw stuff against the wall, see what sticks. Sure. And like, because we didn't raise money and we don't have to worry about profitability. You're bootstrapping everything exactly. for the most part. Um, um, we did end up raising a little bit, but it, yeah, it was mostly, that's kind of how we thought about it. Did you get to a point where, 
and I guess I, you know, I'm just speaking from my own experience where, um, you start to get, um, idea, uh, ideaed out to a certain extent. Like you get so excited about the potential of executing some new product or service. You start to dig into it. And like, by the time I started getting in my thirties, I guess I started to get really tired of working with any of those kinds of things, you know, that didn't necessarily have a ton of money that we were bootstrapping and that you realize actually would probably take about a year or two to see to fruition. Uh, and then I think I'm constantly doing this now as well, instead of saying yes all the time, basically just checking myself, checking my available time throughout the course of a day and saying no a lot more often. Was there a point to where you're like, okay, we're doing emoji masks, we're doing bedding, we're doing notebooks. Let's just focus on these phone cases because that's what's paying us. Or have you reached that yet? Do you still feel like anything is possible? I think the short answer is no. (laughs) But there's two ways of thinking about it, right? Like there's the sort of, is this a good business decision? Or is this fun? Yes, no. Yeah. And probably isn't the best business decision, like working on all sorts of stuff, like spreading sure. yourself super thin, blah, blah, blah. Then there's the like innate desire to just do stuff and like, yes. make stuff and dabble with stuff. And that, that's the part that I find really fun. So, I, Yeah. I, well, I, it's, I always just get so, um, and I'm sure this is you too, but even more so in St. Louis because I have a wider network of people people constantly hit me up with their ideas. And I'm like, great, are you going to quit your job and do you have $50,000 to explore with this and it may not work out? No, but like, you know everybody, you can make that happen. I'm like, well, I'm not gonna do that. Like, I've got yeah. other, sh- I've got my own ideas that I'm trying to execute. You know, I it, an idea is great. It's a beautiful thing, it's magical. It can lead to so many other things, but like, it's really just an idea. And nine times out of 10, I already exist and of that 1% or of that one chance, there's 90% other reasons it's going to fail, you know, or just time, time demands or money or capital, or just typically something that you can't even predict or fathom just coming out at you from nowhere or having a shitty product develop or a shitty manufacturer. Sure. And I think it's easy to get jaded after a while in terms of, um, keeping, keeping the whimsy, the whimsical nature of creating things alive while also realizing like, wow, it's really this fucking hard to make a bottle opener, you know, like, or whatever it is. It's just like, are you kidding me? Like, this is what has to go into this. Um, I guess you could just call that experience and age and maturity. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to get at. It's just like, I know that you guys had so many projects and then I feel like you did desire, decide to, dial it in and focus on a few things. Yeah. Again, I think that was more business decision than sure. anything else. Sure, there you go. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting point. I think I, I think personally I just enjoy the process a lot and yes. making stuff a lot. The, it is addicting. The success part, like, like for, for example, like right now I'm working on this new social network. Yeah, um, perfect segue. And <laughs> like there's a really, really, really good chance it's not going to work, you know? <laughs> like, we, we can 
Well, well, it looks fantastic oh, at this point. Thanks very much. <laughs> the like aesthetic we, is incredible. It's an interesting kind of business, right? Because it's mm-hmm. not like, like you need a certain amount of buy-in for it to work. And what's it called? So it's, just It's called Stopwatch, mm-hmm. stopwatch.com. Um, but you know, you can make coolest app ever, but unless yeah. like everyone starts using it, right. it doesn't work yep. as a business. And I, I, that's an interesting place to be because you know, for the past like year and a half, it's like all I've been working on this new social network. And I think it's coolest thing I've ever worked on by far. <laughs> I'm like super pumped about it. But like the whole time it's like, there's a decent chance it isn't gonna work. It's, it's like, gotta be daunting at this point in the game. In well, 20- it's, it's not really daunting, honestly. No. Well, I mean, it's daunting in the sense that like, it would be daunting if I was expecting it to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think it has a chance. That's I think, a good place to be. Yeah, I think yeah. it's, I think I'm doing everything I can to maximize the chances of it working, you know? Sure. But ultimately, if it doesn't work, which I think is likely, just statistically, <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be negative about it, but if it doesn't work- You're just being realistic. It's, it's like, I, there's no part of me that's like, that will be, disappointed as long as as long as I feel like that we made a really cool thing and we did a good job and sure. like people think like oh that's that's cool that's an interesting concept even if a huge number of people don't sign up sure I think I'd be very happy still well it seems you know from what little I've seen and from what I know of your past it seems that you are just having fun yeah and you're you're a lot more free and you're not worried about well it's it's um from the visuals I've seen, you're not worried about this super minimal product friendly um, approach. It's like you're dialing into this weird Blade Runner. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, it's like cyberpunky. Cyberpunky, very 80, but in a yeah. not in an overdone way. Uh, that's, it it that's, feels fresh. It feels cool. That's awesome. Uh, I don't know what it does. Oh, cool. <laughs> so. Maybe I'll, I'll give you the pitch. Well, the, just to touch on the sort of the Blade Runner aspect to it first. The hypothesis really is basically, I think generally speaking, people are just burnt the fuck out on social networks. Of course. Like, everyone hates Facebook now. Everyone hates, you know, it's like a necessary evil. The whole idea of social networking in general is just sort of like a dirty word. They love hate Instagram. They hate it, but they don't even know it. It's subconscious, you know? So I think like, just the idea of launching a social network in 2019, it's interesting. Well, it's not, I, I would say it's like, people are like, oh, I don't fucking care. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's like, who cares? Right. Like, I don't want another social network. Social networks, like, that's my perception anyway. Yeah. It's an interesting place to be working on a social network. So it's like the anti-social network. Well, I wouldn't, well, ba- <laughs> we're basically not calling it a social network, even though I have been calling it a social network for this entire podcast so far. Seven times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, let me tell you how it works and then I'll, I'll talk about the position cool. a little bit. So. We're calling it a time network, mm-hmm. not a social network, um, which I think makes the sort of Blade Runner-esque, like retro-futurism stuff make a little bit more sense in that context. Definitely. The company, by the way, is called Time Travel Corporation, uh, DBA Stopwatch, and we have stopwatch.com gotcha. if you want to check it out. But the way that it works, um, one of the sort of impetuses for this was just seeing how, how much people hate the algorithm and seeing like, honestly, the algorithm is like, I could talk about this for hours. Like sure. the concept of an algorithm is- It's devious. Fascinating, really. Like yeah. it's, 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 
terrifying when you think about it, like how much power the algorithm of Twitter has, the algorithm that Facebook has. Like, and also think about sort of like, like an unfortunate side effect is, you know, stuff that gets engagement bubbles up, but things that get engagement aren't necessarily good. Right. They're more likely to be bad or controversial or crazy. Yeah. And that's like not really a good that's thing. That's Twitter's problem. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and you know, like there's this sort of hankering for the days of the chronological timeline. Like lots of people have talked about oh, that. Yeah. And actually I saw this, this social network launch. I, can't, I, can't, I wish I could remember the name of it. I don't know, this might ring some bells for some people, but they were basically like, yeah, we're Instagram, but we have a chronological timeline. It's like the least interesting thing ever. But just that <laughs> was getting like traction. Yeah. Like Joe Rogan signed up to it. It was like, oh, cool. Like, this sounds interesting. Like it's just fucking Instagram with a chronological it's timeline. It's just rehashing previous versions of already established software. <laughs> exactly. But it, uh, dude, that blew my mind when I saw that. I was like, wow, this is like the lamest, well, maybe not the lamest, but uninteresting tweak mm -hmm. to a social network and it's like shit this is actually resonating to the point where people are like well if you pair that with a appealing name and different layout like it kind of is like hey all you know all they need is the users well let me give you the picture stopwatch because right. it's, it's a little bit more to it than that so there is a chronological timeline mm -hmm. um so everything is in order um, and the way that it works is you don't scroll through content. You don't scroll through like, uh, primarily video right now. We'll sure. probably eventually do photos and some other stuff, but it's video for right now. So you don't scroll through video after video after video. You scroll through time. So what happens is- Like a world time clock. Essentially. Mm -hmm. But as a side effect of that, it's like, let's say um, me and you are filming something. Mm -hmm. like we're, we're recording something. Um, something happening like in front of us right now. Because those two clips overlap the same period of time, the way that that would be displayed in the feed, like as you scroll to this moment in time right now, mm -hmm. you would see both of the perspectives at once. Like a grid? Essentially, yes. Mm -hmm. um, but that sort of expands indefinitely. So if there's like three, four, five, six, how like many Eight people? different views of the sunset. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. So what's interesting about that is, is obviously for a, friends hanging out in the same vicinity, like you might get the same moment um, or the same sort of physical location from different perspectives, which is interesting. You kind of scroll sure. back in time, like relive the same moment from, from different perspectives. But what I think is a lot more interesting, um, and in our early tests, like I think this is a really good example, is basically shared experiences across time. Mm -hmm. so one of the things we mocked up really early, which, which is the thing that made me decide that this is what I wanted to work <laughs> on. Um, I... I found this, uh, there was this moment, I think it was when Manchester City won the premiership mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. And it was this like, like huge significant moment in like the premiership. And because of that, there were all these different clips on YouTube, on Twitter of people like seeing this goal go in because it was the goal that meant Manchester City won the league. And it was like, there's all these like different like perspectives and all these different reactions. Mm -hmm. And then, so we, we sort of dropped that in the stopwatch UI just to sort of simulate how it would feel and how it would work. But what's super cool is you you can basically like, you scroll to that moment in time, mm -hmm. the, the moment that that goal is just about to go in and you see, like like you said, a grid. Are you, sorry, are you using like a clock face or how do you get to the moment in time? I almost just want to, want to whip out and show you, but I'm realizing <laughs> that, that wouldn't be a very good visual for the, uh, the, the, the podcast listener. <laughs> so it's basically, 
scrolling up and down mm -hmm. controls time directly. Gotcha. Okay. So as you scroll down, it gets later and later in the day. Yep. Um, I guess this is sort of a side note. I'll get to back to the, the football thing in a second, but eventually it gets later and later in the day, but eventually you catch up with real time. So you catch up with, you know, it's 4.50 right now in sure. the afternoon. What happens then is that the feed turns into a live feed and you oh, see cool. like everything happening in real time. So you see stuff like, you know, kind of popping in. Um, but yeah, so what's cool is when you like scroll to a moment when this there's, there's multiple perspectives. Right, you, you one Manchester of, City one. Exactly, and you. what's interesting is like, like the goal didn't just go in. There was like, the guy was dribbling, like someone tried to tackle him. Like, so there are people kind of like, the all like kind of reacting. And you see <laughs> yeah. sort of this like, there was this like bad tackle that happened and you see like five or six people like move in unison. And these people, they're not friends. They don't know each other. They're just experiencing the same moment in time. Mm -hmm. And it, I don't know, it's just like this thing that is like, when we walked up, we were like, oh shit, this is really fucking cool. Like, this is like something that doesn't exist right now. Like you really get the sense of the crowd, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like, that's kind of like the, the sort of concept at a high level. But I think there's all these interesting implications once, if it sort of reaches any kind of scale. Um, and the way that the, the website will work, we're building this sort of, I mean, it is a time network for lack of a better term. So you can basically go to stopwatch.com. This doesn't exist yet, we're in private beta, by the way. If anyone would like to join the private beta, <laughs> send me a DM on Twitter. We'll um, link to it. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> um, so, um, oh, I've lost my train of thought now, Kevin. Okay, uh, you were, uh, you said it's on the website. Oh yeah, so the way that it works <laughs> is, uh, you can basically deep link to mm -hmm. any moment in time. So the URL structure is something like stopwatch.com forward slash year, forward slash month, forward slash gotcha. day, forward slash minute, forward slash second. And then, so to the second, you can go to any second in time <laughs> and it will show you uh, sort of like for every second we create a boomerang type loop backwards and forwards showing that second. Yeah. So you can see like a grid of the same second in time from all these different perspectives all over the world. Boomeranging. Exactly, but it's the same moment. It's like a true kind of snapshot. But that moment may be longer. It's not just once, like you're well, playing a clip, a one second boomerang of a longer clip. So there's, exactly. So there's okay. sort of like, imagine two sort of views. There's like the view where you just watch the clip. Yeah. And then there's sort of like, we're calling it like Thumbnail. fourth dimension, like fractal view, <laughs> where it just sort of like, you can just pause on a specific second. Oh, And yeah. it shows you everything that happened in that specific second. When you did that movement, you just moved your hands in front of your face. I just got like immediate glimpses of Minority Report and uh, Black Mirror. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, that's interesting. But dude, just imagine things like New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. You scroll to like midnight. Based on who you follow, correct? Uh, well, this the feed works based on like that kind of concept. Cool. So like- man, I'm like, sure there's going to be like the stopwatch feed as well. It's basically just like everything, like the fire, like the time fire yeah. hose. You can just scroll to any moment in time and just see whatever. Wow. Um, so that's kind of the, the kind of concept at a high level. It's interesting. Um, it sounds amazing. It also sounds very, um, what's the word? Like I said, like, um, like if you had, <laughs> yeah, people have to be actively using it, of sure. course. It, it seems um, like the, like, uh, I'm losing the word in my head, but like, being able to see what everybody's doing. It's got that kind of voyeuristic aspect <laughs> yeah. to it. 
It, it reminds me of the, uh, have you seen The Matrix, the trilogy? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah you know that scene <laughs> in like, I think it's the third one, mm-hmm. where it's like the, the guy and there's like a grid of TVs and you just sort of see all these different perspectives yes. all over the world. Yeah, at the end one. Exactly. Yeah. It kind of reminds me like that. Or like the, uh, the Batman um, when he gets all the radar from all the different phones and the huge TV that sets up yeah, everybody's yeah, location. Exactly. Yeah, it reminds me of that. And I think it's funny. It kind of is maybe like taking over CCTV, you know, since that's such a, a big thing in the UK mm. of constantly being under the eye, you know, big brother. I got 1984 sitting right here. <laughs> but like almost taking that and making it l- not evil. <laughs> I would I would like to think so, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it 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 the the sort of mission, the kind mm. of like high level goal of this thing. Yeah. Is the emotional appeal. Well, that's kind of part of it. Um there's there's a business model. That, mm-hmm. So this is one of the mistakes I think we made at Daily Booth. We never sort of factored this in. Like <laughs> interestingly, sort of side note, no investor ever cared or even asked about it. It was just the thinking was, yeah, who cares? No, it doesn't matter. About Daily Booth? Well, sorry, about the business model of Daily Booth. Oh, yeah. So it was just like, who cares? Yeah, doesn't yeah. matter. Just, just grow it and <laughs> yeah. figure that out later. Um, well, I guess I, I guess it's fine if I talk about this. I'll tell you about the business model. So the, the idea is basically, it's going to be a hybrid. It's, it's, it's almost going to be like a, a Patreon type model. Mm-hmm. So no advertising. Um, there'll be an optional monthly subscription. So you, you can use it for totally free, just like any other social network. But if you want to to sign up for like an optional monthly subscription you can It'll with be, other features there might be some small stuff like sure. no watermark on the the exported loops that kind of thing um but the the idea is that monthly subscription gets divided by the people the partnered users for the people that you're following so it's almost like say that again so the- let's say you subscribe mm-hmm. and you're following 50 people sure um let's say it's five bucks a month, there's sort of a TBD amount. That $5, we'll, we'll keep a, a cut of it, like 30% kind of thing, but mm-hmm. the rest of it gets distributed to the people that you're following, assuming that they're like partnered users. So it's like, one, you get some extra features, you know, you sort of menial upgrades Did, kind of like thing. Like they get money? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. So it's like a, like a Patreon kind of hybrid. Uh, okay, sorry, I get it now. Yeah, so the idea is, you know, from a high level, it's like a network like this is only as interesting as the people who are posting yeah. stuff. And it's like immediate like, influencer return. For exactly, that's part. That's part of it. You know, it's yeah. like look, like if you come over to this new network, which we think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons why I was hesitant to talk about it is because I, I I don't want it to come across as like, yeah, with this new social network, we we pay people to use it. <laughs> I want it to be like totally like a side note, like totally Gross an roots. afterthought. Yeah. You know, it's like the product needs to stand on its own feet. And then as a side effect, it's like, oh, and there's also this interesting. That's how you explain the growth though of like, this is how this could grow. But yeah, potentially. Right. Yeah. It's more of just like a messaging thing. Like I'm trying to be careful with how we talk about it. Like, I think it's just aligns incentives. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 well, it's grasping kind of what, um, like you, you mentioned Patreon and it's taking a play from, where we're at in 2019, yeah. you know, like what is the incentive to join a new social media platform totally. and to tell other people about it. And I think that there's been some really interesting attempts at that in the past three, four years, like, um, beam, uh, did you ever see that? 
That was the uh, Casey Neistat. Oh yeah, this thing. Um, Where you hold the phone up to your chest. Yes. That thing. Yeah, and yeah. I, um, I think there's a lot to learn from that too. Uh, and I, it, it had an interesting kind of matrixy green and black interface. It felt lo-fi on purpose, and um, and I think he was pretty open about it why that didn't succeed, you know, how hard it is to, they weren't doing, there was not any incentive aside from YouTube influencers starting up sure. a social media platform <laughs> and isn't it cool? And everybody joined right. and that didn't work. And so I think that there has to, you have to be very intelligent about like, it's not just a, a chronological Instagram, you know, it has to have something that motivates people further along. And I like where you were leading with that. I think that's very interesting, even though, even though you're trying to not make that the, you know, the main focus. Yeah. I think it's very interesting. Yeah. I just think the optics of it are bad. Like I've, I've seen social networks launch where they're just like, yeah, you know, we're basically just Facebook, but we'll pay you. Or yeah. like we'll have some sort of weird sort of cryptocurrency. It's just like, I, oh, I read those headlines. I'm just like, oh, I don't fucking care. Yeah. What's the that. Facebook one coming out? Or is it? The Facebook cryptocurrency. Oh, the Libra thing. Libra. It sounds yeah. like fucking Illuminati stuff, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I just—it's just—it comes across as really bad. It's like, yeah, there's mm-hmm. nothing new, but we'll pay you to use it. Sure. That sounds terrible. Like, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't sign up to that. <laughs> but if it's if it's like, that's why I want it to just be a total side note. Yeah. You know, it's like that's why I was hesitant to talk about it. Like I, I want the product to be interesting and people to sign up because the product is interesting, and then you know a big part of it is really just it's the whole second mover advantage thing, or I guess maybe second mover is not true in the social networking world because there's been many movers, but <laughs> it's, it, it's been interesting sort of thinking everything through and positioning against Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it may be less so positioning, also just the design of the product too, like from the core sort of like what Stopwatch is. It's sure. like, don't collect data, like don't do adverts, like try adverts. and incentivize, you know, incentives like Mm -hmm. yeah well balancing the ethics versus the incentives right what um what would you do with like porn or so i want to be as hands-off as possible yeah i want to be like tumblr uh, (laughs) pre-acquisition yeah (laughs) like porn really that like the issue is less porn and more like moderation i think because like I've been following what's that word moderation more what's more oh moderation moderation yeah sorry yeah stupid American weird, weird accent, weird accent. Um, yeah like I, I don't know how close you've been following any of the sort of like Twitter Facebook moderation yeah, issues fair, basically fairly. I think they're kind of fucked either way it's like yeah. whatever you do you're kind of fucked like half the country disagrees with you it's just a it's very tricky at the same time i do feel like we're entering maybe hopefully entering some sort of like post woke uh content uh acceptance in to where not everything has to affect everybody <laughs> yeah i hope so it's a really tricky problem though it is i think I, this is one of those things i think will have to evolve and i you know i have like very easy for me to sit here and say like, oh, we'll take a hands-off approach, blah, blah, blah. And then like, you, know, you get some shit happens and it's like, yeah. okay, well, we have to sort of make something cool here kind of thing. <laughs> um, but 
Yeah, I think I think as a general rule, we're going to try and optimize for like giving people tools to curate, like easy blocking tools, sure. tools to like delete things, mm-hmm. like comments, that kind of thing, and try and optimize on that end rather than on the moderate the moderation end. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. So what um what pro- what part of the process are you in right now? I mean, it it sounds like you're trying to balance the the fun and the whimsy of making it versus like thinking ahead. Yeah. So it could be something viable. <laughs> sure. So, well, right now we're, we're getting pretty close to launching. Mm-hmm. I think the plan is sometime early next year. Um, we have a private beta. So it's, you know, we have probably, you know, chunk of users who are using it right now. We're sort of iterating, like basically getting it to the point where we think it's actually like compelling enough to launch publicly. Um, but that's kind of where we're at. It's 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 starting to get good. It's it's taken longer than I think we all anticipated. You know, mm-hmm. we're trying to do te- a lot of technical challenges, playing multiple videos at once on the screen. A lot of sort of design challenges because it's like this totally new UI that didn't exist yeah. before, and all these like sounds like a lot of bandwidth of. Well, I guess you're trying to solve that with the boomerang aspect, though, right? Bandwidth it's, in what sense? In terms of um, all these videos playing at once in a grid and then you're just taking the one second snippet so that's sort of two separate things it, it's, it's funny like it's, until i see it, it yeah. yeah okay i get you um <laughs> is yeah. there a timeline zero like is there a you've already started the beta yes so is there like what's the first thing in the timeline oh i don't know what the first thing is but we've been <laughs> posting stuff to like the timeline for many months now well, you know, it'd be interesting, I think, is to, you know, it's called the Time Travel Network, right? Or the company um, and then the DBA is Stopwatch. It, the app's called Stopwatch. Yeah. The, the, it's, the only reason why it's called Time Travel Corporation is because we had to incorporate before we had a name or like a domain name. So we tried to pick something like kind of generic and then we, sure. that's just the name of the corporation. But. No, it's a great name. <laughs> and the way you're approaching it is with this sort of nostalgic bent, which I think is really powerful. And it'd be cool if there was some way to where you could get uh, licensed uh, or unlicensed media from the years past to where you could scroll back into the future or back into the future, (laughs) back into the past to like pull up simultaneous news clips from, you know, an election and responses from what, you know, the five networks that were around at that time. And then from different regions, there's this one website that I love and it's a... I'm trying to recall it. It's basically a map of the world. And I believe you pick a year and then a radio station and it plays the music that would have been playing in that country at that time. Wow. That's cool. And that is just so powerful. You know, it's taking like the concept of having a digitized library of Congress, for example, and incorporating it into a format that's easy to access because you have this massive con you have the library of Congress. You have all these things that have been, uh, created for the past 200 or 150 years. And there isn't an easy way to access them yet. So if you're able to like somehow pull in, like, like get an agreement with a news network, CNN and, Oh, you know, rewind back. What was going on in 1987 on the night of blah, blah, blah. You know, that shit would be amazing. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's kind of, like 
one of the ways we talk about stopwatches is, is mm -hmm. it's a master timeline of world events. Yes. And, but it only sort of makes sense from the point that we launch onwards. But you're right, like it would yeah. be amazing to just have that kind of backlog to be able to- Strike an agreement and then like people uh, subscribe to the all of CNN's content ever made. <laughs> and then it could pour, you know, whatever. Yeah, um, I think that the, con you know, there's a lot of ideas that play into that. And I just like the approach that you're making with kind of like the tactile. Is there any hardware ideas potentially? You know how like the snap glasses have come in? Um, no, not yet. No. Okay. Sorry. I just like talking about your idea. No, man. <laughs> it's cool. I'm glad it's, it's interesting. I watched this um, science fiction movie called Prospect recently. And it was, um, it's, there's not really, the, the most famous dude is the guy from uh, Narcos, the guy with the mustache. He was also in Game of Thrones and he got his head squashed. Have you, uh, you'd see him if you know him. Yeah. Spoiler alert for anybody that's never watched Game of Thrones. And uh, the movie plot is real thin and it's really hard to even understand what's going on. But what they did was make science fiction look tactile and grimy. And like I read about the production of the movie and how they filmed the space scenes and how they filmed the spaceship. And they were literally modeling and cutting out of a CNC plastic shapes for the spaceship as they were going. Wow. So like the spaceship has like an ignition key or device and they're like, it should look like this. And it's all like white and dirty and grimy and old NASA feel to it. And they're like, cool. So they came up with it, modeled it and then fit it into the spaceship on set. And like, there is this weird, just like NASA shit is everywhere now. And it's been branded by like H and M and, yeah. All these brands are just kind of like, you know, nostalgia harvesting basically because people love that kind of, um, that tactile approach. We're all done with the virtual stuff now. Yeah. And like you said, you want to touch things again. You are, that's how you got interested into, um, your company after daily booth. And the same thing with me is like, I am so tired of apps and, and sites and building, uh, Facebook times, um, some music app times this. <laughs> right. It's like, I literally went back and I'm like, I'm just gonna make a bottle opener and yeah. figure out leather and steel and, you know, um, presses and dyes and, and how to make these things and coming up with leather forms and talking with tanneries, you know, and then incorporating that into the things that you know from running e-commerce sites and from being technologically savvy. Uh, and that, that midsection is super interesting, you know, and it, it, you know, even calling it stopwatch, that's a, that's an, a thing from years past. Like who uses it? Nobody uses like a stopwatch anymore. They use the stopwatch app on their phone. Yeah. And so I'm just like, my brain is going to the place of, oh, you could have your own stopwatch or like your brand is so cool <laughs> that you could make your own things in addition to the app to support it. That's cool. Yeah, the thing I the thing I like about sort of leaning into this general aesthetic for, mm -hmm. for the brand is I think it it lets get away with a lot more I think in how we talk about it. So, for example, like we have this onboarding video that isn't in the app yet, but it's going to be in the app in a couple of days, and the whole thing is sort of positioned as this sort of 
almost like an alternative timeline. Like we found this really interesting video on, on Instagram. It was an ad for a car stereo from the 80s. Mm. But the ad was trying to be futuristic in the 80s. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know all that sort of stuff. I love that. Same, man. I love yeah. it. And it's like, you know, this, they obviously got it totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it also is like, there's something really special and magical about like watching how people imagine the future to be. Sure. Um, there's it, something just on Reddit about that, about some, um, like a video showing how the people would use uh, or how they would interact at home with technology. Yeah. It was like decades ago. Yeah. And it, and it, like some things were really right. Yeah. And some things were just like, what? Totally. <laughs> the thing that I think I like about it is, is basically like, I think it lets us get away with a lot more in how we talk about the product. Sure. Like for example, one of the things we're sort of playing around with is this idea that you can browse the fourth dimension, mm-hmm. which is true. It sounds kind of bullshit, but it's actually true. So the fourth dimension, defining that as? Time. Okay. So basically, you know, you scroll to any sure. moment in time, and yeah. then you can kind of horizontally see everything that happened in that moment in time. Gotcha. Okay. I think if Facebook or really any tech company came out and said that you'd think, shut the fuck up, what yeah. are you talking Somebody about? I just ate drugs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I think the way that we're presenting it, it's almost a bit kind of tongue-in-cheek, sure. obvious joke, like hopefully it's an obvious joke, like clearly not taking ourselves too seriously, just yeah. like leaning into this sort of like sci-fi. But like um, like with the maybe just the smallest hint of believability. Oh, yeah, because it has I mean? to be true. Like yeah, I, exactly. It has to be true, and it is true. Um <laughs> But I don't think we could do that if we were just like branding as like a generic tech company kind of deal. Right. Like with some name that stopwatch with two Z's and a... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no the, vowels. The O is a zero. S-T-P-W-T-C-H. Yeah. <laughs> Stop, what is it? St- stopwatch. That's funny. I, I, the, the approach is very fresh, I think. And um, yeah, it is interesting. And it is... It is like you say, it's a uphill battle, but I think that with your mentality of how you're going about it, it doesn't matter either way. (laughs) And I think that can be applauded. And like, I think people will pick up on that too. Um, I've appreciated seeing the behind the scenes of what you've been doing. And uh, that I am guessing that's the video that you're talking about, all the set photos and everything. Cool. Um, And you shot that here? Yeah, in St. Louis. Nice. Um, my buddy Nato from Quick Plug Monkey King Productions. I think it's monkeykingproductions.com or something. Oh, cool. Local? It, yeah, he's a local guy. Oh, right on. He, uh, it, it was one of those things where, like, quite quickly, I think it kind of became a bit of a passion project for him. Mm-hmm. And he just, like, totally, like, bought into the idea, like, started getting really good. Like, it wasn't just, like, a job he was just yeah. I think he started he getting like it. oh this is cool like this is like <laughs> you know give him a bit of like freedom just to kind of get creative it was also cool was like he has like a more traditional film background rather than mm. like startup video aesthetic you know um so I really like that like he he definitely sort of like I don't think it feels like a startup video at all it's sure. very much like cinematic like short interesting it, there's no narrative it, it's it, it actually is so well maybe it doesn't make much sense if if you don't know the context but um 
Yeah, it's it's basically presented as like a true onboarding video. Cool. So it's like we'll like, link to it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. This won't come out. I mean, or they could probably come out simultaneously. Cool. Yeah. Um, so in doing this, I guess you're kind of modeling what you think is the future for social media. What do you think is going to happen now with the old stalwarts of Facebook, Instagram, oh, Snapchat, that's a, Twitter? That's a good question, man. I, think, Any, I, I know you kind of critique by creating is basically what you're doing. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> but where do you, where do you see like the mess of all this going? I mean, I think it's, I think about it all the time more passively. I don't really I put a lot of brain energy into thinking about it, but it's just kind of like, yeah, I mean, just by the nature of the user base, you know, Facebook is older, yep. you know, kind of receding yet still dominant. Uh, Instagram starting to acquire some of the negative aspects of Facebook. Although I saw that they were playing with hiding the likes recently, yep. which is interesting. Um, it's like, you know, if you had to take a stab at some very uh, high concept ideas of what they look like in the next five, ten years. I mean, I don't know. That's a hard question. No, I, it's such a good question. <laughs> I don't so, think I could answer it. So. <laughs> That's why I'm asking you. Yeah, I mean, we touched on the algorithm a little bit before. Mm -hmm. I think... Something has to change there. Like something yeah. has to give, I think. Well, it's not to cut you off, but the problem is algorithm versus moderation, correct? More or less. Because uh, the moderation also becomes this shadow ban kind well, of thing. And moderation is a whole other issue, right? Right. Like they are definitely related. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm pulling a face. I like. I'm trying to really like trying to think this through. Um, yeah, I think I think the like something has to give. Mm -hmm. I think what I find interesting about Twitter is it's the closest thing we have to sort of a shared collective consciousness. Yeah, and sort of growing up, I always sort of assumed that that's the direction that we as a species would go in, you know, mm -hmm. we'd like slowly integrate with technology, slowly start like communicating, like telepathic. I'm talking like very, very long term. Of course. And yeah. eventually just kind of become this like collective shared consciousness. And what I find so interesting about Twitter is Twitter is very close to that. It's, it's a very sort of, it's a representation of that idea. Mm -hmm. And it's a shit show, <laughs> you know, it's a true shit show. It's insane. Yeah. So I think, something like that needs to exist. Like some sort of like collective brain, like way that like anybody can talk to anybody and like totally level, level playing field. Sure. I think that is something that has to exist, but it seems like the, the way that the algorithms are, are working right now, something has to change, you know, something, yeah. or at least I hope something changes. Maybe right. that's, maybe that's a better way of wording it. Or else this is going to be uh you know, boobs and pecs. Ever. Right, right. <laughs> like the thing I find interesting about this whole conversation is like, for example, I, we don't have to get political, but for example, like- I don't mind. Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. um, I think he is sort of like, like people talk about him, but like, you know, being like a 
playing 4D chess and being a genius or this kind of thing, like, you know, playing into what the media does or like, you know, intentionally spelling things wrong in tweets to get more engagement, that kind yeah, of stuff. Confusing. I think that, exactly. <laughs> I think that probably gives them too much credit. But at the same time, I think like the systems that we operate in mm -hmm. create, like made him bubble up to the top. Yes. You know, and there's all sorts of these situations where like the things that bubble up to the top aren't necessarily the best or most mm -hmm. interesting. They're just kind of like, the most absurd half half the time. Yes. And I guess I'm in a roundabout way just saying that I hope <laughs> something changes, you know? So like some, like the systems that we're currently operating in yeah. change so that... That would put the onus on the people though to get smarter, which... The people being... The people users. Well, it's, I think it's less, it's the algorithm's fault, right? It's less the pe it's human nature sure. to be drawn to like absurd things. <laughs> but I think there's a way of, I mean, it's a tricky problem. I, I don't know how you solve it, honestly. Yeah. Because you do, there's a lot of good arguments for some sort of algorithm, you know. Well, there's, a, you know, I, I think Twitter has been fascinating um, because I think, or it at least feels that Jack is more, approachable and willing to change than Zucker. Yeah. And um, at least that's the outward appearing, you know, <laughs> approach. He seems, um, he seems accessible, I guess would be a good word. Yeah. And also, you know, kind of, kind of almost in a weird way, feels like he's hands off. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a problem with Twitter too. And, um, and it is in its, it's such a simple platform and it's, it's basically the thing that everybody's been doing since the advent of the telegram. <laughs> sure. Um, just in a group format where everybody can see. So yeah, I, w I would hope that it becomes some blend of algorithm meets moderation, whatever that may who, be. Who moderates it though? Right. The exactly. Exactly. Well, do we end up having machine moderation and then it like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The, that's just another algorithm. The robots like... end up controlling what gets seen and what doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's tricky. That's why I make bottle openers. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't handle it. Like it just, it's a lot of big problems, you know, and then you spend a large portion of your time thinking about how to solve them. Meanwhile, we don't know anything. Sure. You know, and, I think that's important to realize every step along the way as well. Like, who, we don't have these answers. Anybody that pretends to have these answers is just doing it for some sort of, like, gain. Totally. Um, and so I think it's important for people to just accept that more and more frequently and then, I don't know, to just not care as much. Yeah. I always say those are my rules for social media is, one, don't care about it. Two, use it. Don't let it use you. That's it. Yeah. Three, make it interesting. That's totally. it. <laughs> yeah, man, it, is, it really is what you make of it. Right. You know, like, like, I like to think about it as a sort of metaphor of like the people that you follow, you're sort of like wiring that person's thoughts into a part of your brain. For sure. Because you, you are, you literally yeah. are, you know. You're literally giving them the time of day. Exactly. <laughs> and it might not seem like much like you maybe like hate follow a couple of people or like oh, follow yeah. people because they're annoying or like you just can't look away kind of thing 
But I think over time, they in some small way like have an effect on you, have an effect on who you are, have an sure. effect on your personality, you know, like. So I think you have to be careful. You do, man. We're, we are so new at this too. And it's, I always have these weird like crises of, exi- you know, I feel like I'm having an existential, existential crisis once a week. <laughs> and I'm like, what, am, what the fuck am I doing? Why do I even care about this? You know, and like catching myself. And then when you look at the time that you spend on your phone, yeah, man. like, what is this achieving? Am I learning anything from this? Is this even informative in yeah. any sort of way? And it's so easy to fall into that trap. It's so easy just to it so, become like, yeah. it is using you. Pavlov's you dog just constantly exactly. smacking that bell to get that gratification. Exactly. But I think if you're careful and you're aware, it's also the coolest thing ever. Like yeah. every good thing that's happened to me has come about because of- It's like, a great way to put it. You know, social media or the internet. So yeah, just- be careful, Just, I guess. Yeah. And man, read old books. I'm reading books on technology from 1999. Oh, interesting. Um, and then also flipping through old magazines. What kind of, what kind of technology books are you reading from 1999? It's by this, um, he, he's called a designer, but he's really more than that. Uh, his name's Bruce Mao. And he wrote this book called Lifestyle back in 1999. And it explores technology and existence through the lens of design and through projects that he did. But it has um, a bunch of essays kind of explaining, for example, like why is typography important? And it gets into this very interesting narrative of like the letter forms themselves, how we engage with them, how we take them in, how they feed our attitude when we look at them, and how he relates that then to like his concepts of futurism and the internet, where it was Mm -hmm. at in 1999 and where he saw it was going. The other one I started That's was cool. Marshall McLuhan. Um, the medium is the massage, uh, which is like um, this designer t- took Marshall McLuhan's writings in the 50s and 60s and then laid it out in an appealing design sense of that era. And it really pulls out like pull quotes from saying like, you know, very, a lot of abstract things like, um, you know, just almost like cones, uh, like pithy sayings and then pairs it with the understanding of the electronic era Mm. or the electronic age at that point in time. And they're very, it it relates to what you're doing, honestly, because it's, um, it's like that whole like science fiction, like Ray Bradbury, like looking forward, now looking back and learning from what they were saying when they were trying to look forward. Yeah. And the more I spend time doing that kind of stuff, I get much more stoic about, any kind of technology and social media and just take it as it comes, you know, and it, 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 it's like, it comes, it happens. And then I'm almost waiting for the analysis of it before I can fully understand it. Yeah. And I'm trying to bridge that gap. Like there's this whole uh, series on Netflix called sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. And it takes a look back at culture uh, in that decade through television kind of representing what was going on. And ever, they changed my life watching them because it, it, one, explained eras in which I wasn't alive, and then it helped me realize what actually was happening in the 80s and 90s mm. that I didn't necessarily understand and that related to my life growing up as a child. And I'm like, fuck, like, this is the most self-aware content yeah. I've ever seen. And so now I'm just trying to constantly think like that 
um, in a way that, you know, makes, that doesn't drive me insane, <laughs> but to where I can just be stoic and self-reflective whenever something happens, sure. you know, what, whether it be something traumatic and affecting the entire country or world, or whether it's, you know, something that's just bullshit and even on a local level. And, um, it's a good place to be, I think. Yeah, man. <laughs> like caring, but not caring too much. For sure. Um, that's quite the philosophical tangent. <laughs> so this is your main focus for right now. Stopwatch, yeah. And then what happened? I saw this slingshot a while ago. Oh, dude, I was yeah. excited about that. So this... I'm like, my man has come into the physical side, <laughs> making, making some badass slingshots. So... This is something I was playing around with before. I was very excited about those. Well, it's still happening. Okay, cool. <laughs> so this was when I left uh, Need One. Mm-hmm. Wasn't totally sure what I wanted to do. Like had this idea for social network loosely, but like- does, Sorry, does Need One still exist? Yeah, uh, yeah. basically right now, the Marshall's focusing on PL 100%. Cool. Um, Need One still exists as an entity, you, mm-hmm. you know, it's the website's still there or the blog posts are still there. But sure. Yeah, the, the focus right now is PO 100%. Cool. Um, so when I left Need One, just again, just dabbling around, wanted to, you know. How to make shit. Exactly. <laughs> and I I have this habit talking actually about algorithms. Mm-hmm. The, the YouTube recommendation algorithm has mm-hmm. made me the person that I am. I think it controls me more than I would like to admit. That's interesting. And one of the hobbies it made me have was slingshots. I just fell down this hole and I was like, oh shit, slingshots is cool. Um, and yeah, you know, like found these, all these like this YouTube community of people that just like love slingshots and review them and like I learn all this stuff about them and like ended up like buying a couple off Amazon and slingshots instantly fell in love with them. Yeah. It's like super small. It's super easy to use. There's like no batteries. It's like the most fun toy ever. It's old there's, school destruction. Dude, there's <laughs> nothing more satisfying than like, like shooting a can. <laughs> there's nothing more satisfying than that. And you can be incredibly accurate with a slingshot. Oh, yeah. Like I didn't realize, I thought it was one of those things like it's like literally a toy, but no. you can, there's no kick. Yeah, man. Like it's consistently you can just like pow, 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 yeah. pow, like dial it in and get really, really good. So I was like, oh, it might be fun just to like fuck around and like, you know, design a slingshot. So yeah, I started working on a slingshot. Um, just like, this is before Stopwatch. Um, started messing around, like mm-hmm. coming up with this like brand, like the, 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 the sort of brand that is gonna make the slingshot is called Dead Eye Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sort of tagline is, Top quality mischief. Yes, so I love just, that. It's just I like love that. It's just like stuff that's made well, made in America, like yeah. all good stuff. And <laughs> it's just like just shit that's like fun to play with, like no batteries, like mm-hmm. stuff that you can like like buy, practice, and get better at, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so design a slingshot. Um, then stopwatch started happening. It kind of like just sort of sat there for ages. Um, Recently, though, my my brother, who back in the UK, mm-hmm. he uh, he used to own this cafe in in Bristol in, in the UK. Um, it's just like really cool cafe, like nice. super sick. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, uh, the Mud House on oh, Cherokee cool. Street. So that yeah. kind of vibe, like sure. super super cool. Um, 
like really nice vibe in there, like really doing really well. But his his landlord kind of just squeezed him and he got in this like weird position mm. where like he, it's, the numbers weren't working and he ended up just having to, to sort of close it down. Um, which is unfortunate because it was yeah. like super sick cafe. <laughs> and I felt really bad for him. And he, you know, he, he like, as a side effect of that, like acquired some like debt because of, you know, trying to keep it going and trying mm-hmm. to sort of like, you know, like turn things around kind of deal. Um, so he was in the situation earlier this year where he was just like, had to close down this company that he poured everything into, like in a bit of debt, wasn't really sure like what to do next. Felt like he had to just kind of get a job kind of thing. And we just start talking about it. And like, you know, he'd seen some of the like Instagram stuff, I guess that you've seen as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, oh, what's going on with this thing shot thing? <laughs> so what we decided is basically he's just gonna, he's gonna run it. So That's awesome. he pulled the trigger on <laughs> uh, like placing the order for the slingshots. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, being made right now, actually. Awesome. Um, so yeah, man, I'll give you a slingshot once, once they exist. Dude, let me sell them on my site. Oh, that'd be, <laughs> I was gonna say actually, like I, I, I love what you've done with this, this oh. the snake bite branding. But like, again, it's like a fun thing, you know, it's like, that's the whole, the whole lesson again is, I just wanna do something fun. Yeah, man. And learn stuff. Totally. And I haven't even, <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest, I haven't kept up with it enough. And then I got this crazy opportunity this summer and now it's like, okay, now it's demanding my attention. Oh, that's it. So this is the trip to the white house. Yes. So tell me, tell me how that came to be. And then sort of like, what's sure what, what it changed. Sure. I've, I, I have touched on this in probably the last three podcasts, oh, okay. but no, no, no. I, all, all that to say that I'm writing an article to where I, don't have to talk about it. Fair anymore. enough. Fair enough. But um, it was completely random. I just got an email from some person at the White House with a janky looking email structure, <laughs> no graphics in the footer. I'd be like spam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. spam. And I was. It was after the third anniversary of the ghost ride, so it was like later in the morning. It was like nine thirty, ten, and I'm just like groggy reading this email, and I'm like, what? is going on. I like, I, I checked the email address. I Google it. I Google the name of the person. I'm like, oh, this is, this is actually a person. <laughs> and I, and I'm just like thinking to myself, I'm like, like any other administration, this would, I don't care who it is. It would just been like so much more revered. Like they're asking me to represent my home state of Missouri. Well, not really. I don't care about that. They're asking me to represent St. Louis in the White House and being one company from the entire state. I'm like, fuck it, I'm doing it. <laughs> and so I called them and I'm just like, hello. <laughs> and like, yes, hello, is this Kevin Kelly? And I'm like, yeah. And like, are you interested? I'm like, I guess, I don't know. Are, are you guys covering travel? Nope. I'm like, okay, okay. Um, can I give you a call back? I'm like, yeah, sure. I just like talked with about it with my girlfriend and I'm like, yeah, I'm going. Are you kidding me? You gets invited Hell to the yeah. white house that's awesome. <laughs> for a bottle opener. <laughs> that's awesome, and uh, it that's was the so most, cool. it was the most real experience of my life. I mean, it is, it's, it's long. I got one of my friends who I told recently, um, I sat down and they're like, we want the full story. And it took me over an hour to tell the entire story. So it really, I'll either have to do like a companion podcast to this article once I finally write the story, but it is, it was, um, 
yeah, a, the most surreal thing I've ever been through and very, very, very interesting. Mm. And it continues to be interesting. I mean, I'm going back on Fox news next year. Oh, wow. So it's just, and I'm not, I'm not a Fox news fan or watcher. Um, so it's, you know, I think I, I learned a lot of things and I'm just, you just gotta be open, man. Me putting up that I was at the White House made me lose a bunch of followers. Really? And, oh, yeah. That's interesting. Which, again, I don't really care. Um, but it was just fascinating because I slow played it. Like, I'm at the White House. <laughs> and people were like, whatever, Kevin's just pulling our leg. Then I'm like, All right, here's the actual White House. I'm on the South Lawn. I'm doing an Instagram video. <laughs> and people are like, and then it just blows up like yeah. what well, I thought you were joking you're actually at the White House and then like ended up meeting the president and giving him a snake bite and <laughs> oh, small so little cool. piece of protest art and uh, <laughs> yeah and then it just yeah the rest is history I think whatever you think about Donald Trump that's still fucking cool it's right that's it, still so cool man. it is cool it, it's, it's fat you know I got all sorts of knickknacks and souvenirs nice. from that trip and uh obviously photos and video and crazy stories. And one of the, one of the stories I'll tell you is, um, you know, having made stuff before and knowing how hard it is, the whole process, I had his head of security. Um, and I haven't said this on any other podcast. I had his head of security come up after we met him and all this kind of stuff. And he said, he's like, I need your best bartender tool. He's like, I'm like, cool. He's like, it's going someplace very special. And I'm like, wow. Okay. Uh, you know, they're all the same. <laughs> I'm just like trying to find one with the best finish to it, to yeah. where the laser looks perfect and everything's in place. I'm like, here you go. He's like, very cool. I'm like, all right. Yeah, this is very cool. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to be in the moment of that being in the white house <laughs> and enjoying it. And then also trying to be yourself. Yeah. And then also like there's news cameras around and I'm also like doing my own little mischief mm. as well. And I'm just like trying to be open for, and I'm wearing a fucking American flag suit, Fuck yeah. you know? And then, so it's like, I'm very tongue in cheek <laughs> and I'm trying to also, you know, I'm trying to play both sides. Yeah. I'm trying to get my point across and also not be a dick to people sure. at the same time. Sure. And it was very serendipitous and just occurred. It happened exactly as I would have hoped for. Yeah. So do you know where they put that, the snake bite? No, I don't. Because I gave them to all the bartender staff too, that okay. was there. And so we were in the East wing. So the only thing that I can imagine is that it would go into the West wing in like the private bar. In I'm like thinking the Oval, Oval Office Oval or something. Office, yeah, you know man. what I mean? Like, you got to think next time something bad happens, like the president's just, you know, shotgunning, shotgunning a beer or something. <laughs> you mean a Diet Coke? Or Diet Coke, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, they don't drink, unfortunately, the president or the vice president. Oh, really? No, yeah, that's infamous. I've uh, never heard of it. Donald Trump only dr he drinks Diet Coke. Oh, I thought you meant like... In general, presents oh, never drink. Fuck no. Okay, okay. There's been some infamous drinkers. Yeah, I was gonna say that's interesting. No, I'm saying the current administration doesn't drink. Got it, got it. Another funny little story uh, was that the interns were showing us around while we were setting up, and uh, and they're like, "Oh yeah, there's no booze here. It's a, it's the driest White House since Prohibition." <laughs> and I'm like, "Great." 
not today because I got beer here. You know, I, oh, I packed beer samples. Nice. And then uh, one of the Secret Service guys who was helping us out, I'm like, is this really the driest White House since Prohibition? And he's like, fuck no. <laughs> he's like, the Christmas party this year was lit. That's funny. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, it was crazy. He's That's like, awesome. the president, vice president don't drink, but everybody else does. That's funny. So, yeah, just little, I have 20 of little stories like that that I'm trying to put into some sort of first-person narrative that's entertaining to read. It's going to be entertaining, I think. But it's like, I haven't had time to, I haven't even had time to, like, put on social media that Snakebite went to the White House. Yeah. Because I've just been worried about doing my own, (laughs) like, putting it out there for my friends and family and followers. Sure. Um, so I still have to figure out how to like put this into my brand totally. successfully. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very on brand, isn't it? I think. It is. Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, yeah. And half of it was me doing my protest thing. And then the other half was like, yeah, I am a believer in made in America. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm not like very tribal when it comes to that. I think transparency is the key. Like if you're going to make something that tells a story and is made wherever, that's fine. You know, not everything has to be made in America. Absolutely. Uh, just tell us where it's from. Don't, don't, don't have a Midwestern brand and then make your shit in Bangladesh. Yeah. That's the thing that irks me the most. And that's really just authenticity, you know, uh, which I think a lot of brands are lacking in totally. or big brands. So, yeah, uh, what were we talking about right before that? <laughs> oh, the slingshot. Yes, oh, yeah. I love to incorporate that. We didn't even talk about the, the, the perils of owning a building oh, right. in downtown St. Louis. We can get into it, but we've been on two hours, 15 minutes. Oh, damn, it's flown by. Yeah, it always flies by. Wow. <laughs> uh, we can save that for another one. Cool, sounds good. Uh, I know you got a housewarming to get to. Yes, I do. Uh, I have an art show to get to. Where can people reach you? Uh, probably Twitter is the best cool. place. Just yeah. at, at John, J-O-N. Yeah, that, we should probably talk about that. How you have the shortest Twitter username. <laughs> <laughs> I can give you the short version. <laughs> the short version the of short the short version. username. <laughs> Someone reached out, sold it to me in yeah. 2009 or something That's hilarious. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, it actually isn't too hard to get usernames because I had... Snakebite Co. USA, and then somebody had Snakebite Co., and they had four tweets from 2011. Nice. Did you and reach out to them, or did you get Twitter to just give it to you? I, uh, I reached out to both Twitter and Instagram, and I got them to give me the names. Oh, as hell long, yeah. As long as you have the trademark. Oh, damn, dude. That's awesome. It's pretty easy. Yeah. So next, I'll be working on Kevin Kelly. Yeah, just trademark <laughs> Kevin. Yeah, good idea. Well, there's that dude from Wired Magazine, uh, the editor, who looks like this Amish brother okay he's got this giant beard he's a he's a technology technologist writer he has at kevin does he he's kevin kelly oh damn it i suppose kevin or actually founder of instagram has kevin yeah probably but there's a kevin kelly that isn't being used so i'll just try to figure out how to yeah like trademark my name send it in and get kevin kelly nice for right now it's kevin kelly usa nice (laughs) and then stopwatch.com yeah stopwatch.com or we're at stopwatch on twitter Awesome. Yeah. Well, dude, I will. I'm excited to check out the beta. Cool. I'll send you in. See how this baby functions. Give some uh, reviews. Nice. We'll link to the video so people can check that out. 
and then they can also subscribe put their email in to be accepted for yes whatever follows exactly awesome i appreciate your time thanks for having me it's been great i hope it's been enjoyable for you too it has yeah it's been awesome. and uh welcome back to st louis thanks very much let's hang out sounds good all right peace See you Woo. yes john wheatley everybody round of applause please uh, he started asking me a lot of questions there, and I want to apologize for people that just wanted to listen to John, but uh, I, I know there was a few moments where we went off of talking to John, and it was me talking about the crazy White House trip or some other things. Um, but, for, you know, I just, it also occurred to me that a lot of people may have no idea who the hell I am, which is completely fine. If you are interested, my name is Kevin Kelly, and, uh, I am the host of this podcast, as well as a uh, artist, photographer, uh, designer, and uh, entrepreneur as well. Um, there's more to it than that, of course, but that's just what I can think of off the top of my head without anything written out. Maybe I'll get better at that someday. If you keep listening to this podcast, I'm sure 10 podcasts from now, I may have some little script, little self-promotional script so that you can really know who I am. Uh... <laughs> But there is no script at this point in time. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you made it this far, I hope you liked it. If Again, I said this in the beginning, but if you dig it, please rate and review it. It does help. Uh, I got two one stars on my very first podcast and, you know, just trying to win those bastards back. Um, share it on social. Discuss snippets on your blog or your podcast. I do have notes available podcast.anti-agency.org. The notes should also be in your iTunes episode and Spotify episode. I'm working on getting those formatted better, uh, but like anything with podcasts, it's not easy. Um, and if you feel like tattooing it across your body, my God, go right ahead. If you want the art, if you want the transcript, let me know. We'll do it and you will win whatever free gear I decide to make in the future for life. Uh, I appreciate it once more. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for new episodes coming out always. Ciao.